Hey, welcome to the 245th episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is the podcast about random things in a world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from heck which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week and we're currently on the moon Knight train looking back at moon Knight, uh i th- i think what what are we gonna do this week or what do, did we do no last week we did werewolf by night 32 so i did original moon Knight one two and three now we're gonna look at werewolf by night i mean because it, it, it's interesting because you know his origin is different and that's something that's going to be addressed so you can hear about that but if you can't commit to a monthly commitment you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman from heck and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or four that is ko-fi.com slash gman from heck all right this week we have dr strange and the multiverse of madness so you can hear about that um i'm probably going to talk about like in general just you know i i think i need to touch on some spoilers i'm not going to go full-on spoilers uh you need to watch it before i mean their spoilers are out there already so you need to be careful i am just blown away i think i mentioned it last week the fact that two kind of big things were spoiled in a tv spot and then like you know yeah so i'm not going to get into that again but you could also hear about the second episode of the man who fell to earth um, interestingly enough, I'll talk about it a little more when, when I get to that, that segment. I actually watched the movie because I couldn't remember if I ever actually watched it because it obviously came out in the mid-70s. So like, I wasn't going to the theaters. To see. It's, I don't even, did it even play in theaters? Man, that was, that was such a movie. So we'll talk about the movie. And it's interesting now having watched the movie or rewatched it, I don't remember, and then seeing what they brought into the first episode and so it it was is it kind of made me appreciate the first episode more because they brought in some you know big things and and so we'll talk more about that and also which I'll talk should talk about I started listening to audiobook too so more than that we got the Moon Knight finale season finale series finale no one knows I don't know well some people probably know but I don't know and you can hear about the latest uh, Superman Lois you can hear about uh what else two more two episodes of made for love so they're okay it's a half hour show but they insist on dropping two episodes like maybe it should be an hour show if that's what you want i I don't know but let's get into the news so speaking of dr strange it looks like the thursday night preview showing whatever which is what i always try to do it made 36 million just on thursday night like some movies will barely make 36 million for the, the whole weekend. So that's, that's pretty good. Now, granted, you know, full disclosure, some of the, the, the showings were earlier. Like I think they're, you know, a lot of places were having like four o'clock showings, five o'clock, whatever my theater. I don't even know how many screens they had it on, um, but there is quite a bit. And, but what bums me out is I found out after that there was a 3d showing I haven't seen a 3D movie in so long. I, I, as I mentioned several times, I'm a sucker for 3D movies. I love the 3D movies. I know some people just despise it, but I, I would have liked to have seen this in 3D. And 
I don't know if I'll go back and pay to, to see it, but maybe, maybe not, probably not. But yeah, so thirty-six million. That, um, now, No Way Home did fifty million, so it's, that's a little. Di- I think it's pretty good because, like, you know, Doctor Strange. Even though you know Doctor Strange was in No Way Home and you know Avengers and you know all that, I still don't feel like he's maybe necessarily be. There's something about it, you know. I don't think he's necessarily what the kids and by kids i just mean like the younger hipper whatever i don't know if he would be like their number one choice of a character to watch because you know it's it's, i I think about my my students and no one's ever really talking like oh dr strange is cool or this or that and you know so i don't know but i think 36 million that that's pretty good and and spoiler i i really like the movie so you're gonna hear about that also and just to put in perspective the batman did 21 million it's opening weekend. So 36 million to 21 million. I mean, that's uh, almost double if you do your math. And it's projected at, so I, you'll know the numbers by the time you listen to this. They're projecting it to be like around 160 to 175 million for the weekend. So not bad. Um, yeah. So more on that, that later. Uh, there was, uh, speaking of Marvel, Taika Watiti has said that Gore, the God Butcher, played by Christian Bale, and Thor, Love and Thunder, is is probably like the best MCU villain. <laughs> yeah, you know, of course he's going to say that because it's his movie, but we'll have to see. I mean, he's he's laying it out there and saying that. So that's that's July eighth. Uh, Martin Freeman kind of talked about filming Black Panther two without Chadwick Boseman, like what that was like. And, you know, cause obviously, you know, they were hired to do a job. They had to make this movie, you know, they want to do this, but they said it was just kind of weird without him being there. So, you know, he says that, you know, he fully trusts, you know, Ryan Coogler, you know, that he was going to do the best thing that he could with everything and, and all that. But this also marks uh, the end of his three picture contract. So technically he could be done, but he, it sounds like he's up for more. He says that he really likes doing these movies because he can just kind of come and go like when it suits him type of thing. You know, he's not like fully immersed. It's not like, you know, he has to be in every single movie. So it's like he can, he basically says he doesn't want to just be like stuck doing the same thing over and over again, like all the time. So he, he likes being able to make an appearance here, do some other stuff. And then maybe he'll come back and make another appearance and do some other stuff. So maybe we'll, we'll see some more of him because I, I think we kind of need that, you know, the cement, you know, he's kind of carved out his little corner with his character. So I, I think there's some important certain, you know, just especially anything that has to do with Wakanda. So we'll see when the, the next time we'll see him. Disney plus has cast some more uh, people for <laughs> Percy Jackson. They're, they're the, the TV series or whatever. So they cast his two friends, and I don't know a whole lot about Percy Jackson. I haven't read the books. I've seen, there's what, two movies that was previously? So I know I've seen the first one. I don't remember if I've seen, I may have seen the second one. I don't know. But they they cast his two friends, and um, not really surprising, it's, it's not an all-white cast, which I think is important. So, you know, I, I was like, I forgot where, where did I read this at? I read it somewhere, and like the comments were saying, it seemed, I mean, the, the comments at the time, there wasn't a whole lot. They seemed to be like in favor of it. You know, it's obviously it's to make things more diverse, which, which again, it's, I think it's good because not everyone is white. But one, one comment said that, you know, from 
reading the books, they, there was there wasn't ever like really anything that said certain character has to be this or this or whatever. So you know the fact that they mix it up, it it's not a problem. You know it's it's not going to change who the character is. You know like the the main thing we always say is like well you know you can't make Black Panther white or something like that, and just like. You know, Peter Parker should be a kid from. Well, that does that. It's not a really good example. I mean, what's a good example? I don't know what's a good example. You know, we we see a lot of that where characters are being changed, and I don't know. I mean, I, I I've talked about this so many times. I'm not gonna talk about it now. Uh, let's talk about Sam Raimi. While speaking of Spider Man, so he mentioned how for like Spider-Man four back in the Tobey Maguire days that he wanted to use like Mysterio and, and Craven Hunter. He thought that it would have been really cool to do that. You know, he had ideas. I don't know if it was still the case, but he originally was thinking like Bruce Campbell to play Mysterio, even though he was in the other three movies. I was like, I don't think he was the same character. And, and I, I still think it's funny. That Bruce Campbell says that, you know, he's the only one, that defeated Peter Parker, that defeated Spider-Man. When when Peter Parker wanted to go see Mary Jane and her play, he wouldn't let him in, and he's he's turned him down. Spider-Man couldn't couldn't defeat him. He couldn't get in there. So and then that that caused the downfall of everything, right? But he basically obviously has come up. Would he do another Spider-Man movie? And he basically said, you know, like does Toby Mc, would Toby McGuire want to do it? Is there like an emotional arc? for the character is there's like some sort of great conflict is there like a worthy villain and he's like if so then yeah i'd love to because he says you know he still loves the characters the 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 thing that people need to remember with spider-man 3 he did not want to use venom you know the the studio is like hey we need to use this character he wasn't overly familiar with him he and he basically he kind of didn't really care about the character so here you're you're forced to do something with a character that you don't just don't care about or don't I don't know so yeah it's no wonder that a lot of people don't approve of that but it just wasn't what he wanted to do and that's just yeah so that that stinks for those hungry for Morbius Morbius is going to be available on digital May 17th and then on 4k ultra HD blu-ray on June 14th so you will be able to watch Morbius over and over and over and over again. And I don't know if I'll ever watch Morbius again. Maybe someday, but not anytime soon. Obi-Wan Kenobi, there was a new trailer that came out. And uh, I watched it. You know, I, At first I told myself, like, oh, no, I'm not going to watch it, but I did. And it's it's interesting to think about how you know, I, just, I just think about Obi-Wan. It's like, okay, he goes to Tatooine and then he's there for 20 years. And somehow he gets really old really fast, and it's probably just from being out in the sun or something. But it it's clear from the trailer they're really amping things up. It's it's not just twenty years of sitting around doing nothing in a the desert. There's people still out to get him, and I I guess that makes sense probably because with Anakin being Darth Vader and you know with the Inquisitors you know hunting down any stray random Jedi. They had to have known that Obi Wan survived because you know they never found his. Although, oh no, yeah, how does it work? So, if a Jedi got shot by a laser by a gun, would they turn into a Force ghost if they had that ability, or do you only turn into? See, I don't think you need to be struck down to turn into Force ghost. So, I guess the question is, if like Obi Wan had been killed 
by a clone trooper or whatever, would he have elevated whatever, moved on, and became a, a spirit ghost? I, I guess if someone would have, they would have reported that. So there, there's probably no reports of his death. So they're like, he's still out there somewhere. We need to find him. But then are they like searching for Yoda? They know Yoda is not, a, you know, who knows? So we'll have to see what, what they're going to do with that. But I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to watching that show to see what they're going to do. Cause I, I think Ewan McGregor's is amazing. So here's a kind of finals and we get some answers. So if you've been watching Moon Knight, and if you've been watching the, the the credits, you know just just in case there's anything, Disney Plus they always try to say, "Hey, you watch this now, watch this," and every single time it goes to Eternals. So it's like, why the heck? Why are you trying to make me watch Eternals again? Which I, I do want to watch at some point. I should watch it at some point because I've only seen it in theater. But it's like, man, it's like every time they keep throwing that Eternals up there, and I was like, is that because it's the last Marvel movie that came out? Maybe. But apparently, I don't know if this is the reason why. Maybe, maybe not. I feel like more because it's it's the last. It was the last movie, right? Because Spider Man is Sony. So apparently, there was going to be a, like an Eternals crossover cameo in Moon Knight. They were thinking of doing like some like flashback scene on uh, like ancient Egypt with Kanchu and Kingo. That there there would be like you know. Alexander the Great, you know, all that stuff. But it, it trying to do ancient Egypt, I guess, was just too costly. It would have, like, you know, kind of really taken from the budget. And they would have had to, like, compromise, like, the end of the show or, what you know, whatever. So they were like, yeah, we're not going to be able to do that. So they had to cut that. I think there was, like, some other cameo that they were talking about. But they were saying that, you know, that this is kind of like the Marvel way to make these little connections and stuff like that. But they are like, well, you know, we don't necessarily have to do that. So, so they didn't. And that, that's fine. Uh, so you'll hear more about that last episode in a bit. There was a trailer for Lightyear, which I almost didn't see, but I did watch it. It's, it's a long trailer. I'm always hesitant with the long trailer. I'm always hesitant with any trailer these days because there's just so much. But the trailer looks good. It's, you know, basically Buzz Lightyear gets stranded on another planet. There's some, a couple other people, and he's got to carry out his mission and just getting him into shenanigans and everything like that. So it, it looks good. That's going to be... And I think it's June 17th. So I, I'm, I'm excited for that. And Chris Evans, yes, that, that that totally works for me. A trailer I did not watch. I actually meant to watch this. And uh, I, yeah, I just, I, I didn't. Um, Green Lantern, Beware My Power. So this is going to be, uh, I believe it's the next DC animated, which I don't know why I haven't heard about this. I didn't get any press releases for this, I don't think. So it, it's uh, going to be a Green Lantern movie with John Stewart. So um, that's going to be cool. That I, I, have we seen John Stewart? We've seen John Stewart, but I don't think we've had a John Stewart movie like solo. I think we just had Hal Jordan. Was there more? Than, I know there's more than one Green Lantern movie. I think there was. Anyways, I'm not going to say. I'm just talking to myself. Actually, the whole show is me talking to myself, right? Now I'm talking to you guys. So we have that to look forward to. And I I think it was. I have like June in my head, I thought, but like I said, I didn't get, I don't think, maybe I got a press release and I just, I get too many emails. I hope that's not the case. Well, actually that probably would be the best case. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, Game of Thrones fans, not me. <laughs> I need to finish that at some point. House of the Dragon uh, character posters were released and I'm looking at this. I'm like, okay, there's Matt Smith. There's someone with long hair. There's a, there's a woman, someone else with long hair, someone else with long hair. But I'm thinking, man, back at the times like that, you just think about like lice and just bugs or whatever, and not having 
shampoos and and running do they have running water it's like why does everyone have such long hair you would think it would just be easier to just keep your hair short Uh, whatever i guess that's the fashion so i have no i i don't know if i'm gonna watch the show I, i feel like i should i just I don't know if I mean look at if you listen to last week's episode look how I felt about the Northmen and I, I feel like it would be the same thing and I don't know if having watched Game of Thrones would make me or would make the the whatever viewer average viewer more excited to watch this Game of Thrones prequel because right now I I'm obviously not even though I've watched I think I'm on the third season I'm told I have, I have absolutely no idea right now but. I, you know, I'm I'm not like totally like oh yeah I need to watch more and I I would if there wasn't just like a million things to watch. So, and I always say well, maybe this summer we'll, we'll see. But yeah, so we have that to look forward to, or some people have that to look forward to. Oh, I forgot to mention with the Obi Wan, there's a a new Obi Wan figure. I, I got a press release. I did get a press release for that, and I was like oh Obi Wan. I was like oh it's it's just like another Star Wars figure. I mean it looks cool and all that, but it wasn't anything like totally out of ordinary i mean that the star wars figures are, are good you know there's decent detail and all that but i think uh i think ewan mcgregor like unveiled it officially on like i think it was jimmy kimmel or s- some show or some talk show so that, that's cool that they're doing like figures for that so i wonder if there's gonna be more that they'll you know because you would think that they're gonna want to have more to get people excited for the show but you always have to be careful i mean we it was like so long before we had any baby yoda stuff because people wanted to avoid spoilers viola davis is apparently in talks to play amanda waller uh in in an hbo max series i think that'd be cool you know the the question is what would they do what would it be about because you know we we had some sort of uh amanda waller you know connection in uh peacemaker so is it going to be like picking up from that maybe one of the the producers for black adam also kind of addressed why was the movie delayed so apparently you know i i don't remember when it was originally supposed to come out but it's it it's what you would expect it got delayed because of covid you know there there was things shut down things slowed down and then uh he they he basically said that with the video effects companies that they're they're basically jammed they're backlogged you know there's a huge demand for the them to do their magic so okay i and you know i've said it many times you know delay it as if you need to you know don't rush it and have it look like garbage so i'm i'm, I'm totally I'm, i mean it, it sucks when it happens but that's just you that's what has to happen and then uh, the only other bit of news, I feel like, what, what else was there? There was something else. I don't know, I'm sure I'll think about it. I, I do this all the time where I'm, I was like, after the show, I'll be like, oh, I forgot to mention this. So anyways, the last bit of news, there is a trailer for the Weird Al Yankovic movie that Daniel Radcliffe is doing. I just, it, I don't, I the biggest question i have is the fact that it's on the roku channel i didn't even know there was a roku channel so it's like how am i gonna watch this i have an old roku stick i i don't even know if it works if it's just so like outdated i mean can you update these things you should be able to i am curious to watch it <laughs> but I, I don't know I, I love the fact that like dr demendo is in the trailer that, that he's part of it as he should be i feel like i need i need to watch that we'll, we'll see because daniel radcliffe is good 
and Weird Al Yankovic is awesome. So you sh- we should all watch this, right? But with that, that's going to be the news for the week. Okay, with comic books <laughs> at Image, I just realized I uh, majorly dropped the ball. I did not read Deadly Class 52. I was like saving it. And then I, I actually read the Image books last this week. I usually read them kind of in the middle, sometimes early. <sighs> yes, I read, I didn't read Fifth Deadly Class. I'm, and you know, as I mentioned, I, I love this book. So I'll have to talk about it next week. I, I can't believe I did that. I'm, I'm so disappointed in myself. <laughs> I did read Little Monsters issue three. So this is Jeff Lemire and Dustin Nguyen. It's, I, this is kind of like a disturbing book in a way. So it's a uh, like post-apocalyptic world, blah, blah, blah. But it follows this. There's, we, or follow, we see this group of kids and they're vampires. So they're just living their lives. You know, they're playing during the night, doing stuff like that. And it's like, oh, you know, the sun's about to come out. We better, you know, go and sleep and hide or whatever. And uh, But then, we, you know, we, we start to see like their, their backstory. Like how do they become you know, vampires before the world went bonkers. The But the disturbing part is one of the kids finds a human, finds finds a survivor, and because they, they don't see anyone. They, it's just been them. They're waiting for the adult vampire, whatever, to come back, but, you know, they haven't seen anyone. And spoiler, so one kid ends up getting a taste for blood, and he's just like, whoa. But it's like, these are, like, they're kind of innocent kids, even though they're vampires. So it's... Yeah, it's just just kind of kind of weird. And then um, there's another kicker that kind of makes it a, a little worse than just the fact that they're tasting a human's blood. But yeah, so you should be checking that out. There, a monkey meat issue five five of five. I haven't I've only read the like skimmed the first issue, but I'm so curious about this. So you can check that out. Uh, that's it. That trade will probably be coming out soon too, if it's maybe next month or very soon. Uh, Radiant Black issue fourteen came out. I'm I'm enjoying this book. You know, this is this is uh, Kyle Higgins, and what's what's interesting about this is it just it doesn't necessarily follow what you would expect the like the conventional superhero rules to be. You know, this is a, in a sense a superhero comic, but it's it just it, it does its own thing, and it's it's got to be so liberating and just a feeling because you know kyle's done a lot of stuff at dc's and i think he's done some stuff at marvel too where you know you just have those strict guidelines like what your character can or can't do and so now we're we're seeing you know because the first of all the i guess we can kind of spoil it now since it's 14 but the original radiant black like something happened and then um they, they had to be replaced so we, we have, you know, someone else's Radiant Black. So it's just like, holy crap, you know, and you don't expect that coming. Where it's like, is the original Radiant Black dead? Is he coming back? Is he going to survive? Like, what what's going on? And now what we're seeing is is Radiant Black is um, just kind of, look, kind of getting a little, little fed up with, you know, what's going on. And he's getting a little more violent. And, you know, he's doing some things that he probably shouldn't be doing. But who's going to tell him what he should or shouldn't do type of thing. So I, I, I kind of find that that interesting. Um, righteous Thirst for for Vengeance. I kind of feel like I need to go back and read the first issue because this main guy, I don't even, he's got a name, right? I don't, I'm horrible with names, so I don't know this guy's name. Rick Remender, Andrea R. Rujo did do this comic. But we have this guy who went out in this job 
and you know like questionable work but it seems like he's he's a good guy even though he's maybe you know taking part in some some questionable jobs from time to time and what i like about him is you know he doesn't seem like your typical action movie you know type character over the course of events he he kind of became like he started taking he's take, taking care of this kid that you know whatever whatever now we're we're seeing that there's just different things happening i just don't want to spoil things because it kind of doesn't really make sense you know if you're not reading it you know i can mention this character this happens this you should be reading it it's, it's really good and it's a uh, things are are of course getting messy you know they have to otherwise there's no story to tell but it's just interesting to see like this 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 dude and like you know i like i don't really know what he's fully capable of and so that's why i i feel like i need to go back and read the first issue because i was like did i miss something it's like what is he really capable of and so it that, that's one of the things that this kind of i find kind of fascinating is just you know is reading this where it's like okay what's going to happen next so i i recommend it. it it's definitely it's it's something different and i i always like that when that happens Speaking of something different, we had Twig number one. This is by Scotty Young and Kyle Stram. Strom. I don't know how he didn't hear about this <laughs> before. And you know, I just I got caught wind wind of this maybe a week or two ago, but it, it should have been announced before. And I, I do get Scotty Young's newsletters, but I just must have missed it or something like that. So um, basically, what what is this about? So it's uh, the first day of Twig's new job. His first day on a job is a journeyer on a Jeff Smith's bone esque quest to save the Dark Crystal Labyrinth style world. <laughs> did, Scotty, did you write this? Um, join our hesitant hero for an inspiring and imaginative tale of hope, heartache, and determination to overcome insurmountable odds. So I find that description kind of, but I mean, no, I, I do understand the need for it because if here's a totally brand new character, you know, new IP or whatever, and you're trying to explain it to new readers say, Hey, you, you should really give this book a shot. What is it like? So you know, it's kind of like just Smith's bone. It's kind of like, you know, dark Christmas. So I, I get that, but it just seems weird when you read it, but I totally get it. So, you know, reading the first issue, you know, yeah, visually we have this fresh new world and it's kind of interesting. You know, it's definitely one that you want to explore and see like what's going to happen. Where our character goes at first on his first day is kind of interesting how I was like, wait, is that safe? Then as he starts doing his his first job, there's like a huge monkey wrench that is going to mess things up. And um, yeah it's not not a good thing for his first day so it's like what the heck is he going to do for there so it's definitely um yeah some interesting stuff there like what could possibly happen after that so we'll have to wait and see at idw here's another book i didn't read uh rocketeer great race issue two came out so i i like the first issue um but yeah it, it feels like kind of feels like it was more than a month ago when that came out i mean I, I could be totally wrong so i need to read that still um i didn't read anything at boom uh at dc so we had world of krypton issue six and i believe this is the the final issue and you know thinking back at this you know what what the the thing that was like at the back of my mind is like okay why why do we have this book 
I'm, I'm glad we did. It, it did kind of open things up a little bit for me because when I first started reading it, I was like, why do we have a book about Krypton? You know, we know what's going to happen. We, we've seen this story kind of told and glossed upon. But, you know, with Robert Venditti writing it, I, I do feel it, it kind of added a little bit more, you know, gave us some different perspective on, on things. And, and yes, overall, you know what's going to happen and, you know, who's not going to be getting along and what's going to happen to the planet. But it was it was kind of interesting to, to see, you know, the especially like when Kara is, is first born or when Kal-El is born. So there, there's some some cool things there. Task Force Z, issue seven. I'm really on the fence with this. I mean, not really on the fence. I, I do enjoy this book where the, the biggest, I think, problem I have, the thing that I, and it's also something I do like about the book, the book is that we have Jason Todd as kind of like the lead in this book. And what Task Force Z has been, similar to Task Force X, you know, Suicide Squad, is he's his squad is basically zombies. It's a bunch of villains who have been brought back to life sort of you know they're they're just like a step beyond being zombies you know they have a little more cognitive abilities but if if they get injured or something that it doesn't matter which it just seems wrong and weird my big problem is that some of the powers that be or whoever know jason's name you know, they're, they're calling him Jason. He's not wearing his mask. So basically, it's going to come out. It's like, hey, this is Jason Todd. They know he has a connection to Batman. So it doesn't feel like it would be that difficult to do a little digging and see, okay, Jason Todd, wh- how are you connected to Batman? Oh, wait, you were living in the streets. You went to this boy's home. You were a ward of Bruce Wayne? And then you became, then shortly after that, you became Robin. Or there, there's a, I mean, maybe they wouldn't know there's a new Robin, but then Robin died, and, and people knew know that he was a Robin and that he died. And it just seems like they're sk- skating on thin ice. Is that what I'm trying to say? I don't know. But um, it's it's also interesting that there, it, there was kind of like a game changer, like midway through. Where you know it kind of looked like things were going a certain way, but then things kind of blew up in, in, in their face. And then you know when we find out it's like who's kind of in charge of this, which at first I was like, what the heck is going on here? But that's yeah, and I'm still not fully sure what this character's motives are. But uh, yeah, so we'll see where, where this can go. Um, it looks like they're gonna have a conflict with with Batman coming in the next issue. Because, you know, he's he's appeared, you know, here and there, but it looks like something big is going to happen. Suicide Squad 15. Uh, I don't know what it is about this. Ser- I just, I, I haven't been enjoying this series. You know, I, I like the Suicide Squad. I've, you know, liked the past series. But here, now that Amanda Waller is like on Earth 3, doing, I don't know what the heck she's really, what she thinks she's doing. So like Rick Flag and the others are like, well, we need to figure out, we need some some operating money. You know, what can we do? So they're like, let's kidnap Lex Luthor. <laughs> we can kidnap him, and make him pay us money because he's he's an evil guy and he's super rich. So th- there's a lot of that, and you know, we can see how prepared Lex is. Is he always going to be prepared? And then it's almost like the idea is like, is he going to try to buy them and use them for his whatever crazy shenanigans? I don't know. Uh, 
Okay, then One Star Squadron issue six. So this, I've I've loved this book. This this series is has been great. It, this is the last issue, uh, but yeah, you, you should definitely Mark Russell. He, anything he writes is, which oh that's something I didn't mention in the news. It is it sounds like the Wonder Twins movie that w- was announced like a couple weeks ago is like now not happening. I was thinking that you know if you're gonna make a movie it should be kind of based off of Mark Russell's Wonder Twin series, but I guess that's not happening. So anyways, Mark Russell, just look, search whatever he's reading, buy it, read it. It's, it's, it's going to be funny and compelling. So yeah, there's some, I mean, while one star squadron was very funny, there's also some kind of heavy and dark things happening too. So not the necessarily the brightest book. So you should check that out. Monkey Prince four. I'm still not completely 100% sold on Monkey Prince. I do like Monkey Prince and Damien, their interaction, like teaming up or fighting or whatever. And so that that's kind of interesting. I feel like the use of Batman was kind of weird, just the way... Because like he, he throws a battering and it chopped Monkey Prince's head off. Because apparently, if he loses concentration, his body starts falling apart. His limbs start... It's like, What? But the, the fact that Batman chopped his head off with a battering and it's like he didn't even react to it. I think he, Batman would be like kind of upset. So yeah, and then there's the stuff with Monkey Prince's parents because they're. It's like I I, I might have missed it, but I don't know if he realized that his parents were like henchmen for a certain person. Uh, then there's a Flashpoint Beyond issue one. Uh, this is this has been interesting. My big question is like, why? Why are we back at at Flashpoint? I thought Flashpoint was gone, the whole universe, and somehow only Thomas Wayne survived. And he's like, kind of wondering the same thing. He's like, how am I back here? You know, everything is is supposed to be gone. He's just determined, you know, that he feels like you know, he wants things to be righted. He wants his son to be alive, so he knows that, like, in the the Prime Earth, that. Bruce is alive and everything, even though he's been there and then whatever, whatever that stuff happened in the city of Bane, I just, I don't understand how he turned completely evil. And was that during Tom King's arc? So he's, he tried to, he, he sought out Barry Allen on the flashpoint. He's like, okay, I need to turn him into flash so we can get things going. And, and then that didn't go so well. (laughs) So there's obviously other factors happening and then he's trying to get some, and you know, he wants to know if like Aquaman was involved with what happened to Barry, but Aquaman and Wonder Woman are still fighting, and so things just keep getting messy. But it's just, yeah, Thomas is just he doesn't he doesn't mess around, and that's that's what makes it kind of interesting. Then we have Batman Killing Time issue three. I just I can't get into this series. I don't know what it is. It's got gorgeous art, but I just I just can't get into it. And it's this kind of same thing with Batman Beyond Neo, Neo Year Two. Something just feels off, and I don't think it's just a fact of what happened to Bruce Wayne in this this series. I I I am not a fan of that. I I don't like that. I mean, maybe it's just something inevitable that would happen eventually, but it's not really what I want when I read Batman Beyond. And uh, so with this. Terry's just trying to, you know, Neo Gotham is kind of like alive and sentient and yeah, I don't know. So, but I, you know, I really like Batman Beyond 
and it's something's just not working for me. Then we have Batman One Two Three. Batman One Twenty Three is continuing the Shadow War. It is called Shadow War, right? Um, Shadow War Part Five. So it's continuing uh, where Talia and her assassins are after Deathstroke because Deathstroke seemingly killed someone, but it was a setup. You know, he claims it wasn't him, and we're seeing getting some answers. You know, Damien is involved too, and you know, Batman's kind of trying to work with them and. So it's it's interesting, you know. I, I if if you told me the idea, like the scenario that caused this to start up and everything, I would just be like, "What? what? Oh, here we go again." But it, I'm actually enjoying it more than I thought I would. Than when I first saw like how the events were going to lay out. So it, it, this is it's, it's interesting, and I, I like how it's tying it with uh, you know. So it's in Batman and Deathstroke and Robin. So I, I'm 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 digging that. At Marvel, we had Avengers Forever issue five. So we have this the multiverse masters of evil. They've been going around different Earths, basically obliterating things and just destroying everything. And I'm not super keen on that, but whatever. You know, it's multiverse, so there's infinite worlds that they can destroy. Uh, you know, sometimes we we get glimpses at these cool worlds, and then there's it seems like a waste of potential, but Again, since it's infinite, you can always just bring another one, I guess. So this issue really kind of focuses on on Doctor Doom or Doom Supreme, and like what are his motives through all of this? Like you know, when they they go to different worlds and you know they they start basically the, the others are are like fighting over who gets the world, you know, who gets dibs on the corpses and people, whatever. And there, like some comments, like how come Doom never gets in on this, you know? And he's always like, "I have, I get, I have what I need." So we we see the focus on him, and in some aspects, it's it's basically Doctor Doom doing what he always does, you know. There's there's always some reason behind his whatever his motives, and it's nothing with with that. It's nothing like entirely new or you know revolutionary. But what is different is the fact that he's come to so much power, you know, more than our regular Doctor Doom has, because you know he's he's you know obliterating, you know, taking leading the charge, destroying all these other worlds, and and by doing that, that means like you know going up against that world's heroes, and he's coming out on top, you know, so. I just, I, I guess my, my big question is like, where is all this going? Because, you know, we had the Avengers forever and we have stuff happening in Avengers. And in this one, there's, we don't really get the Avengers in here. So it's, it, I, I'm, I'm interested. I, I, I can't say I'm super loving or excited about this, but I am invested and curious to see where it's going to go. Then there's Spider, Ben Riley Spider Man issue four. So this is like set back when. Peter and Mary Jane, when Peter quit, when he thought he was a clone, they moved to Oregon. And then Ben Riley's like, okay, I'm going to be Spider-Man because, you know, he thought he was the real one and all that. So this is by J.M. DeMatteis and David Baldion. And it's, I've, I've been enjoying this. It's been good. Uh, you know, Ben has been kind of confused because he's fighting all these villains. Like some of them like shouldn't be there or whatever. And then, you find out, or he finds out that it's like, no, he didn't really fight him. They've been locked up at the Ravencroft Institute. He finds out here, like, what is actually going on. 
I have to say, I don't know if it's a spoiler as to who is behind all this. I'm I'm not a super fan of this character, and I I think I've actually like tried to block out anything any like when this character has appeared. It's just it's been a, a bit too much. So if you you read it, you know what I'm talking about. And I'm sure there's people out there that that like this character, but I'm not one of them. So it's interesting to see like how Ben tries to deal with fighting this character, but it's not going as smoothly as he would have liked. So I don't know. We'll see. Then there is Iron Man issue 19. Tony Stark's a mess. You know, he's hooked on like morphine or whatever. And uh, what's his name? Uh, Korvac is like, he wants to kill him and he's like, okay. And, and he's like not really fighting because he can't. And uh, I, I don't know. And so, so Tony Stark needs, needs to go to rehab. And I, I'm not joking about that. You know, he's, he's just a mess. And it's like, okay. I, I, I was so excited when the series first started and, now here we're at issue 19 and it's i don't know i'm not excited anymore i hate to say giant size x-men thunderbird uh so we have so thunderbird has been brought back since now basically any mutant that dies can be resurrected you know their memories are being scanned or downloaded into cerebro so if they die a new body can be formed and uh, their essence can, I, I still understand how that, this works so all these characters who have died and then brought back is that really the same character because by copying their memories or their thoughts or whatever it's not really like their soul that's that's being saved and then inserted in a new body like when wolverine gets killed and then they bring him back is that really wolverine or is this like just a copy of wolverine and my big question is like how they they commented in something recently how there's like so many adamantium skeletons like out there because every time he dies the skeletons there and then they have to bring back new ones so it's like where are they getting all this adamantium to put on a new body when because if they bring them back obviously it's not going to have adamantium in it because they're just bringing back the body itself not any attachments and I also find it weird that they're like, you know, so let's say someone's like 33 years old and then when they bring them back, they're still going to be 33 and they're going to be like exactly the way they were, you know. So if they had a scar on their right arm, they're going to bring it back with a scar on their arms. How's that work? But maybe that's it. So anyways, Thunderbird was brought back. So Thunderbird was like one of those X-Men who's like never supposed to come back because you know he died on this first mission, all new X-Men. So he's back. He goes back home, basically, because he says, you know, his family is mostly gone, except for a grandma. There's like a divorce. So, you know, you know John, um, his brother didn't really get into or didn't really wasn't didn't really connect. But with with this, it's just it was OK. And I, I said, John, this is John, John Prosert. Um, there's just a lot of anger with with Thunderbird, and you know, yeah, I get it, I understand it, but it just feels like it's just that's the core essence of the character, and I, I feel like there should be more than that. And you know, we, I guess maybe we do get a little more towards the end, is, but it was just okay. I, I don't know. I, my, my, I ha- just have a problem. As much as I, I am enjoying the Krakoa stuff with the X Men, I'm just not super crazy about the fact that death is just doesn't mean anything 
I am not a fan of comic book deaths. And so now they're basically making it, it was like, oh, if you're a mutant, you die, that's fine. As long as you don't die in other world. If you die, you're just going to be brought back. So it's just like, well, what's the point? You know, why why create a situation? It doesn't make it more realistic or meaningful because they're just going to be brought back. So I, I just, I don't, I'm not a fan of the resurrection stuff because I, I feel like also it can make them more careless. You know, it's like, why do they have to be careful? Yeah, they might lose a day or two depending on when their last memory backup thing was done. But I don't know. I just, I don't like it. Maestro World War M issue three. So Maestro is trying to figure out, okay, where did Dr. Doom go? What could he use to fight him? And Namor has, is angry, has something. So Namor, like in Doom, are talking. and But Namor, he just wants to get his own revenge against Maestro and uh the big thing here maybe i don't think we knew this before but there's a what does what he call he's basically like the the hulk's uh counselor dude i try to figure out what is chancellor maybe we find out like who that this, it's actually someone that we've we've known from before but we just didn't know it was this this character so i thought that was kind of interesting um but yeah, so we'll, we'll see. Oh, uh, Abomination is also in this, and you know, he's got issue. But Namor, he's just like I, I got to do something against Hulk because he's he's angry and everything. Then we have Marauder Marauders issue two. Marauders are out in space now. They're dealing with the Shi'ar stuff, and I'm not super crazy about that. But we're seeing how this team works, and uh, there's this, this big secret that the Shi'ar have been hiding that, you know, some people don't even know the full details. They have, there's something about a connection with like mutants and the Shi'ar that goes way back. Some like dark secret that, that no one should know about. So the Marauders are, are trying to get a hold of that. So there's conflict and fighting and, and stuff like that. And the other thing is like, what, what is Cassandra Nova's angle in all this? Like what, what is her part? You know, what, what is she doing? And, why is she on this team? I don't know, but I guess it shakes things up. Then there was Spider-Man 2099 Exodus Alpha. So the first thing is, it's it's still 2099 in this world. I feel like it should at least be the year 3000 by now. Uh, you know, I guess technically we don't know. And even though the 2099 line have been, has been out for a little while, you know, we're not seeing every little aspect of it like we are in the regular comics so it's possible like how we haven't had a spider-man 2099 comic or we haven't had any appearances in a few years so it could be like what we're seeing now is the next day of his appearance that was like four years ago in our comics there's some and, and there's just a whole other aspect that's that's going on here uh there's the cabal this organization that is kind of like above the law and it seems like it's a major problem i don't know if they've ever been mentioned before because you know miguel is gonna try to mess around with them but i don't know because it you know it used to be all about alchemix you know they were the evil corporation but now we have the cabal which is just doing some kind of really nutty things so i i, I don't know i, I feel like I may may have missed something, but um, I, I like this. And, and there's, uh, uh, yes, on the cover, we also have Ghost Rider 2099. I wasn't a super Ghost Rider fan, you know, back in the day, but I do 
I, I find it interesting, like, what he does here. Then there's Star Wars 23. So this is by Charles Soule, and it's uh, basically dealing more with Poe Dameron's parents, you know, because his mom was on a Star Destroyer ship, and, you know, his Poe's dad wants to try to rescue her because, you know, she is kind of stowed away there. And this uh, evil moth, I forget her name, you know, she... Ellen, no, Ellen Zara? Yeah. Where, you know, she was, like, under the command of Moff Tarkin before, and, you know, she's modeled her, you know, she's worked her way up, and, you know, she's this complete badass uh, imperial leader. So we're, she does some hardcore things, I guess you could say. And uh, you don't, re- you almost don't get, like, a full scope of it, like when I first read that, I was just like, okay. But then when they're kind of talking about it, like a couple panels later, I'm like, I went back. I was like, oh yeah, that's um, that's pretty brutal. So yeah, that's uh, that's kind of kind of crazy there. Then uh, the last thing at Marvel, so there wasn't. It was yeah, it was a weird comic um, this week. The, the the number of comics we got seemed weird. Uh, there's Star Wars Obi Wan. So we have a new Star Wars Obi Wan comic. And I feel like that this is coming out because of the show, which whatever, that's fine. I don't think that's fully the case because you you would think they would want the trade paperback to come out by the twenty seventh, so they can you know try to force people to, to get the whole thing because no one's gonna go and buy a single. Well, some people, most people aren't gonna go off the street and just buy a single issue. You know, they're looking for complete stories. But this fast approaches ultimate destiny when the is renowned because uh, this one we we see obi-wan is a padawan and i don't know what stories have been told before like if i've missed anything like any like official stories but it is interesting to see him and like what he does and like he makes one decision it's just like hey that can't be right he can't really do that but you know then it all kind kind of comes together it i just what i don't know is like how long and i is, is the show gonna address how you and mcgregor ages so much between revenge of the sith and a new hope when that's only supposed to be 20 years so i don't know if we'll get that but it 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 was it was a fun comic you know just seeing young obi-wan and you know as he's in in the academy or yeah i guess a jedi some sort of jedi academy so you check that out and uh you should also check out the rest of the show because that is going to be it for comics all right, let's talk Superman and Lois, episode or season two, episode eleven. Someday I will get that right. I keep messing it up. Truth and consequences. All right, so dealing with the we we just saw the Bizarro world and uh, everything like that. So I'm just going to get to it. Uh, I'm assuming you're keeping up. You listened to last week. You should be listening. Hopefully, you're listening to podcasts every week. So Jonathan returns home, and he sees Jonathan L. The bizarre or bizarro Jonathan, whatever you want to call him, waiting for him, and uh, so John L moves towards him. Lois screams no because he wants a, he's got the pendant, so he wants to merge with our Jonathan. I guess we we can call him, and and then Jordan lunges at him, but but John L like just flings him to the side, and he's like, looks like the weak one here has powers, and then he starts uh, he goes up to to our Jonathan. And he starts merging with him. So his big shimmer lights are like floating. Lois is like screaming. 
Superman, thankfully, from the last episode, you remember, he's making his way, he made his way through this portal. He flies out through the cave. He's flying towards him. He dives right between them. They so they go flying back, you know, right, right as they're merging. And there's big, like, silence, you know, everyone's like ears are ringing, whatever. And then Superman and Lois, you know, they, they, they check on Jonathan. So maybe he's okay, whatever. John L's like, you can't stop what's coming. And then he takes off like, like a little chicken. And then Superman, he's about to go after him, but Lois like stops. And was like, you know, we need to make sure Jonathan's all right. You know, our kid. So Superman fills in the family because he hasn't seen them. It's been over a month. And so he lets them know, like he, he basically, we don't hear everything, but he tells them what happened on the bizarre world. He, um, he says he tried to stop Allie, but he just wasn't strong enough. And Jordan asks if she's become some sort of God now. And Clark's like, I don't know what she is. He's like, all I know is the dependent gave her power. A lot of it. Jonathan uh, has come here to do the same thing. There, Jonathan He's like, well, I guess that's it. You know, he thinks there's nothing they can do because he's like, he's as strong as dad, right? Clark's like, yeah, but he's on our earth now. So the yellow sun will weaken him like it weakened me. And then he asks if he's had any visions and Jonathan's, you know, not really. He's like, I had a brain freeze earlier when I was, you know, after walking Candace home or something like that. Clark's like, well, you know, that's the beginning of it. So, you know, once you start sharing visions, the other John will know where we are because they're talking about, you know, where can we go? How can we hide? So then Lois like, okay, I'm going to go, you know, just update, check in with John Henry. And Clark, he's like sitting with Jonathan. So he's like, I know things have been rough, but, between us lately but it's like none of that matters you're my son and i love you and he's like i'm not gonna let anything happen to you so jonathan just kind of like does a little nod jordan's texting sarah and lois like do you think it's a good time to be texting her and he's like well you know i know she's up whatever he's like he's like i just want to try to fix this and he's like you know she dumped me because she thought that i didn't see her as a priority and Lois is like, well, you know, you've had a lot on your plate lately. You know, maybe she's noticed how distracted you've been. And he's like, but that doesn't mean she's not important to me. And, you know, he's, he's trying to tell her that, but she's not replying to his text. Lois is like, well, you know, maybe uh, she needs time to think about it. And, you know, maybe you do, too. And he's like, about what? And Lois is like, well, you know, sometimes when I'm dealing with something really, like a really big problem, I write it down in a letter. And it helps me just, you know, lay out the problem and then I can just look at it and hone in on what exactly I'm trying to communicate. And she's like, I think you should try that instead of texting. And then, you know, she puts her hand out. He just hands over his phone, like without arguing. So it's like, would would a teenage kid do that? And, you know, he doesn't even like lock it. You know, you can see he's still like on a text screen and he just like hands it over. So, okay. I didn't think that was really realistic. But. So then uh, John Henry arrives. He says, you know, it'll be a while before they figure this out. You know, can they come up with some sort of tech, something to stop them? And he's like, you know, what did your mother on Bizarro World call it? Interdimensional kinesthesis? He's like, yeah, that, that's all new. He's like, I don't even know if I have any tech that'll work. And then um, Jonathan starts crying out. So he's on the floor. He's like, he's, it looks like he's kind of grabbing his neck, not his head, whatever. And he's like, he's on Main Street. And Clark zips off. So Jonathan L, Bizarro Jonathan, he's just like, he's staring at a diner. And he, he, at first I was like, is he staring at Candace? And I was like, how would he know it's Candace? But he's actually, he's looking at Lana. And there's like some other people there. So it must be like after the election or whatever. And then Clark arrives and he starts approaching him. His, uh, John L is like across the street. So as he starts heading toward him, Lana cuts him out, like comes out of the diner and cuts him off. She's like, how was the assignment? 
and he you know, he doesn't know what she's talking about. And he's like, oh, it was fine. And she's like, oh, well, you're gone from your family for over a month. I hope it was more than just fine. And he's like, uh, and he just like kind of stutters, stumbles. He has no idea how to reply. But then he's like, you know, he's like, I really need to go. You know, things have been crazy and I have to pick up something for the barn. And you can tell she's kind of put off. She's like, okay, I understand. He's like, we'll, we'll catch up another time. And he's like, Lana, but she just like walks off. And then, then he looks over where Jonathan was and Jonathan's gone. So he returns home. He tells Lois he saw he saw Jonathan, but Lana cut him off, and he said he's like she said that I was gone for a month, and Lois is like uh, it's been thirty three days, and she's like how long was it for you on the other day? He's like a a day maybe, so she's like oh so I guess time travels or happens different there, which I don't understand how that would work because then wouldn't like one version be like older, and I I, I don't can't even sit and try to figure out which one would be older, so it's like, that seems just kind of weird. But he mentions how she said that he was on assignment and seemed hurt. And Lois like, she probably wanted to talk about winning the election. And it was kind of cute in a way because then Superman's like, oh, or Clark's like, you know, he's like, he's super excited that she won. And Lois is like, yeah, she's moving into her new office tomorrow. He's like, you know, maybe I should go over later and try to smooth things over for you. And then he's like, is there anything else I should know about? So then he's in Jonathan's room and he's like, why don't you just tell me those drugs belong to Candace? And Jonathan's like, I thought you said that everything was cool between us. He's like, it is, but I just want to understand what you were thinking. And he's like, well, clearly I didn't want Candace to get in trouble. And Clark's like, well, maybe she should have, you know, she was selling drugs. And he's like, see, that's exactly why I didn't say anything because you asked me a question. You didn't even listen to what I have to say. Clark's like, let's not make it about me. It's like, I wasn't the one lying. And Jonathan, he's like flabbergasted. He looks at, at, at his mom, at Lois. He's like, are you serious? You lied to me for 14 years about who you actually are. And Lois is like, no, Jonathan, that's not the same thing. He's like, yeah, it's worse because I lied to protect someone else. He lied to protect his own secret. This is where I start getting annoyed with the behavior in the show. This is just the stupidest thinking. And I know he's supposed to be a teenager, selfish, you know, whatever, wrapped up his own problem, you know, no fault of his own. But it's like, come on, you can't be that ignorant. Clark's like, that secret keeps his family safe. It allows you to have a normal life. He's like, not one in the shadow of me being Superman. And Jonathan's like, well, if that's what your secret is doing, it's doing a pretty crap job. And Clark's like, he's like, I'm serious. He's like, on the other world, he's like, our family lives without that secret. And he's like, I, I know you already said that. And he's like, honestly, it doesn't seem that bad. He's like, you know, I had powers. You know, maybe then you'd actually listen to me. And then he's like, I'll let you know if I have any more visions or whatever. And he just like leaves. So it's like, okay, come on. You gotta be smarter than that. If everyone know, knew that Clark was Superman, every single villain is going to target them. It's like, you can't go. I mean, it, if, if you're a kid of a celebrity, you can't go to a normal school because everyone's going to be like hounding you, hassling, you know, but at, at the least the paparazzi. Now, throw in the fact if you're a superhero or kid of a superhero, you're going to get all these supervillains coming out of the woodwork trying to target you either out of revenge to kill you or to kidnap you as leverage. It's like, come on, you, you can't be that stupid. John Henry's working on some new tech, and Natalie asks, like, how, she's like, how powerful is Ellie also now? And Natalie's a little annoying. I guess she's like very protective of like her father and everything because she lost her mom and her world. I was like, okay. He's like, well, you know, we don't know. He's like, but she's like, but but stronger than Superman, the strongest person on the planet, right? And he's like, she's not the problem. 
She says, but if Jonathan merges with his other self, he'll be as strong as she is. And Jonathan, John Henry's like, that's not going to happen. Then she, she, she's like, and he has a pendant, so he can build a whole army of people who are stronger than Superman. He tells her that, she's like, you, you can't just spiral out, you know, with like the worst case scenario. And she's like, you mean like where your whole planet gets destroyed and you lose everyone you care about? And he's like, that's not going to happen. How can you say that? Because I won't let it. He's like, there is nothing I won't do to keep you safe. You hear me? And she like nods. He's like, good, because I'm going to really need your help if I'm going to get this ready in time. So Lana, she's in the kitchen. She sees a look on Sarah's face. She's like, oh, I know that look. And, and she's like, yeah, you know, Jordan was texting me nonstop. As soon as I text back, nothing but radio silence. And that's because Lois took his phone away. She's, she, um, Lana's like, well, I ran into his dad last night and he was clearly wishing he hadn't. And Sarah's like, really? He's like, he always seemed excited to see you. Lana's like, I could literally feel him trying to get rid of me. And that's because your life was in danger. He's like, he didn't even mention the election. So now it's about Lana. (laughs) Sarah's like, but he was your biggest supporter. And Lana's like, well, you know, there's always been another side of him. That's, I don't know. And not present. And Sarah's like, yeah, Jordan used to get like that too. Then she says, okay, you know, whatever. She's like, you know, you're moving into your new office. And she's like, I'm going to go put some boxes in your car. And Lana's like, you know, I'd rather you didn't. And she pulls out some keys from a drawer. She's like, I'd rather my daughter drive them over herself. She's like, your father and I have talked about it. You've earned this. So I'm a little confused because I thought that the kids were like 14, 15. Is Sarah like older? She has her license already. When did she get her license? You know, that, that hasn't even been an issue. It's like, does she even have, did, when did she get her permit? But I guess she has a driver's license. Like, okay. Jordan is still writing his letter. He's out on the porch. Jonathan comes out and he asks if he's been having more visions. He's like, no, just dad went all ape over to XK again. And then Jonathan, he's like, what are you doing? And he's like writing a letter. He's like, he starts joking about like 1800s and right on the prairie and whatever. So he said, you know, he's writing a letter to Sarah. So he reads it and then, you know, he's joking at first, but then he gets serious. He's like, wow. He's like, you're really going to give this Sarah? And he's like, yeah. So it's like, we, we don't know what's in this letter. Sarah is, uh, she's backing her Trans Am because, you know, the car that they fixed with Natalie's help out of the driveway. Then Jonathan L. lands next to her. And she's like, oh, I didn't even see you when I was backing up. Uh, but it's like, does she not notice he he's, has earrings now and he kind of looks a little different? You know, because he's like, oh, I just landed. And she's like, okay, what's with the, the gloves and the jacket? So at least she noticed that. Then, you know, he doesn't really say whatever. Then she's like, you're not going to say anything about the car? He's like, oh, it's not bad, but I've been into Lambos recently. So she just, like, rolls her eyes. And she's like, well, if you're going to be like that, I'll, I'll see you later. And she, you know, backs up, starts going. He's just, like, standing, like, on the street. And she's, like, looking at him in a rear view mirror, and he's just, like, watching her. So she's like, like, what's up with, what's his problem? Inside, Lana finds this old picture of her and the girls, and she hears someone, like, walk in. So she thinks it's Sarah. She's like, oh, I'm glad you came back. Look what I found. It's Jonathan. Jonathan L. And she's like, Jonathan, what are you doing here? And then he just shoves her against a gla- glass cabinet behind her, and then she's she's out. <laughs> but it, it's weird. Like, all these superpower people, they're, they're big on the shoving. It's like, they're so rude. So then Sarah's at Lana's office and, you know, just like putting some stuff away. And Lois walks in, and she's like, oh, you know, Lana's here. Is it okay if I sit here and wait? And then she's like, yeah. So she's like, oh, I heard about you and Jordan. And Sarah's like, yeah, it's it's complicated. And Lois like, I know he's been unpredictable lately. And she's like, you know, I'm sorry about that. She's like, well, it's just not your fault. And she's like, but, you know, is he all right? Is there, you know, like just something going on that I don't know about? 
and Lois is like, well, you know, we've been dealing with some family stuff lately. And Sarah's like, yeah, every family in Smallville is, you know, going through something. And Lois is like, yeah, you know, that that's true. You know, and she's like, but, you know, I just want to say how impressed I am with how you're handling everything. And, you know, she's like, you're way mature than I was at that age. And Sarah's like, that doesn't seem possible. And Lois is like, you have no idea. It's like when I was 15, you know, every guy I dated was just me trying to piss my dad off. And she's like, there was this one guy, Dave, who was in this spectacularly awful, you know, he was he was in his Primus cover band. And she's like, what's Primus? <laughs> Which is, come on, really? And Lois is like, a band that no other band should cover. So I was like, oh, burn on Primus. is Now, did she mean no band should cover Primus because that Primus is so bad? Or no band should try to cover Primus because Primus is so unique and no one else should should try to emulate that. I don't know. I was never a huge Primus fan, so it doesn't bother me. But I was like, ooh. And then she's like, you know, I still haven't told Clark about him or the others. And she's like, oh, you know, whatever. She's like, the point is, you know, the older you get, the more you realize that everyone's dealing with something. And she's like, speaking of what's going on with Jonathan, she's like, when I saw him, he looked like he was going to a rave in the Matrix. And Lois gets like serious. She's like, where did you see him? And Sarah's like, you know, just outside my house. I figured he was going over to Candace's. And Lois gets up. She's like, okay, you you can just tell your mom I dropped by. It's like, I have to go. And she like rushes off. She rushes home. She doesn't bother calling Clark or anything. She drives all the way back home to the farm. So she tells Clark that she thinks the other Jonathan has Lana. And she explains what Sarah said. And Jordan and Jonathan happen to come in too. And Jordan's like, why were you talking to Sarah? And Jonathan's like, why would you want to take Mrs. Cushing? And Clark says, he's like, on his earth, on, on John Allen Bizarro earth, he and Lana work together with or for Allie. And Jordan's like, does he think that she's going to help him merge? And Lois says to Clark, she's like, you know, you saw him last night. And Jonathan's like, you saw him last night and you let him go? And it's just like, oh my gosh, shut up, Jonathan. And Clark's like, there's nothing I can do. You're Superman. You could have flown up to him and stopped him. He's like, not with Lana there. Oh, right, right, right. Because you have to keep your precious secrets safe so we can live a normal life. And then Jordan's like, why didn't you say anything to Sarah's mom? And Lois yells, she's like, boys. She's like, we are not talking about this right now. And Jonathan's like, it's literally the entire reason that she's in danger. And Clark's like, I don't have time to sit here and defend my decisions I've made. Right, because you're never wrong. No, because my best friend is in danger. Oh, if you didn't care so much about keeping your secret, Lois like, Jonathan, upstairs, right now. And she tells Clark, she's like, go, go find her now. He zips off. Then Jordan's like, why were you talking to Sarah? And it's just like, oh my gosh, you little whiny, mopey dork. It's like, no wonder she broke up with you. Oh my goodness. And I was rooting for him. It's like, shut up. Both these kids are so... John Henry... His him and that he like turns out this, this device he made it. They tried it, it's a like, powers up, but then it kind of fizzles out. But it like, kind of turns off the power like other places around there. It was like at the bar and stuff like that. And then he he says that they need more energy. He's like a lot more. She's like, well, where are we gonna get that? He's like, same place we get power for the suit. So Bizarro Jonathan puts a pendant around Lana's neck. He has her like she's like chained. Her hands are chained together. And uh, then uh, backwards, he's like. It's time. Come. Sarah um, asks, uh, what's her name? If she, you know, I demanded the, the lady, the, the mom, the annoying, I forgot her name that, that helped Lana with the election. She's like, asked her if she's seen her mom. She's like, no, I, I thought she was you. She, and she's like, no, whatever. So she, Sarah's like, I'm going to go home and, and check on her. Lois and Jordan are talking. And she says that she was trying to give Sarah context about what 
he was going through. And he said that, he's like, I was doing that, but then you took my phone away. It's like, no, you weren't. You're just like texting nonstop and just being annoying. She says that she knows that's what he thinks he was doing. She's like, trust me, you know, it's better this way. Oh, so you're allowed to talk to her, but I'm not? I was like, oh, man. I was like, I can barely see the screen now because my eyes are rolling. It's like, it's, it's so hard to watch. And she's like, she's like, can we just please not do this right now? He's like, we have way bigger problems right now. Mom, this is pretty big to me. Oh, never mind the fact that the whole world might get destroyed, get merged and, you know, over you know, ruled by a tyrant. But you're worried about a girl that you want to talk to. She's like, I'm on your side. He's like, can we just cut each other some slack? And because he was also like, well, you should have talked to her without asking me. And, she, you know, she, so she's like, I'm on your side and whatever. And then he hears someone arrive and low someone doors and Sarah's there. And she's like, I think something might have happened to my mom. So she explains to her about her not being, you know, not being at the office. You know, she's waiting and she goes home. There's broken cabinet and glass. And she's like, Lois is like, well, you know, I'm sure she's fine. And Jordan's like, mom. I was like, okay, okay, Jordan. Oh, Sarah, by the way, your mom might have been kidnapped. by. Some- it's like, yeah, let's freak her out, stress her out when they, they don't know what's going on, when she could be totally fine right now. Lois is like, you know, the best thing is to wait at the office. She's like, I'll make some phone calls. I'll contact you, you know, as soon as we hear anything. Then Jordan decides to go after Sarah. He's like, you know, I'm sorry for blowing up your phone. And she's like, can we not do this right now? And, which is exactly what Lois said. He's like, well, I know it's a bad time, but it's important. And I need to tell you how I really feel. Because it's all about him. It's all about his friggin' feelings. Her mom is missing. She has no idea. She sees a smashed living room. And, but he wants to talk about his feelings. And she turns around. She's like, Jordan, my mom is missing. And he's like, and you know, in, instead of stumbling over his words in text, he's like, I wrote it all down. And he's like, you know, everything that I've been trying to say, it's right here. And he's holding out uh, the, the letters. Like, I'll fold it up. And she looks at him. She's like, Jordan, I don't want your letter. And she's like, walks out the door. And Lois like, kind of heard this. She kind of, she's like, sorry. He's like, yeah, great idea. And he was just like sets the letter down. So John Henry and Natalie, they go into the mines. Um, they're by the portals. Like, why the heck are you there? And then he goes off the side and he starts like drilling, like trying to take some of the crystals. Because I guess that's what he uses for power. Lana wakes up and then she sees Jonathan L. Like with his back to her. He's like, he's at this like tank, like with flammable something. And she's like, what am I doing here? So he's, because he's been fiddling with this, this tank. He says something about waiting or whatever. And she's like, Jonathan, I think the XK you're taking is is going to your head. And he's like, you're not making any sense. And he's like, you don't know what you're talking about. She's like, you've been struggling at school. That Jonathan isn't me. And she's like, you know, your parents are, are worried about you. And, you know, he's like, you don't know them. Those people just look like them. Sort of like how you look like the Lana from my world. Clark comes home. He couldn't find Lana anywhere. He tells Lois that, you know, he saw him on Main Street. None of this would have happened if he wasn't worried about his secret. So now he's starting to second guess it. And she's like, you couldn't have known what would happen. He's like, it doesn't matter. And then she mentioned Sarah came over and she had to lie to her face and it made her feel so gross. And she's like, you know, what are we doing? She's like, the secret is doing, destroying every everyone we care about. And he's like, it also gave us everything that we care about. He's like, I could never just be Clark Kent if the truth got out. And, you know, I'd never have the family that I always wanted. Uh, you know, he he said he saw the other family. They were a mess, you know, with the fame and the ego. And she's like, we're not them. He's like, I know, but what if this is what makes them different? And she thinks that, you know, maybe they should just, you know, trust that their family knows what to do. 
So it's like, does she want to reveal the secret? And then Jordan starts yelling, Jonathan is having another vision. So he he sees where they're at. You know, he sees hooks, like an industrial freezer and stuff like that. He misses Cushing's tied up. So they're at this like old whatever warehouse. And so Superman zips off. He arrives and Jonathan's waiting. He's like, how predictable. I knew you'd come for her. So Superman's like, he's like, she doesn't want this. I think we both know part of her does. Superman says that, you know, he's not going to let him harm her. And he's like, I was counting on that. Jonathan opens his mouth and lets out fire breath. Superman stands in front of it. And Lana, uh, he stands in front of Lana to take like the flame blast. And then the, so the, the tanker blows up, but then he falls to the ground. And there's little, little shards of green kryptonite that are sticking out of his chest. Jonathan rigged it to the tanker so when it blew up, they'd fly at him. And Jonathan, he's like smiling and kneels by him. By him and he pulls out this, like a bigger uh, crystal from his, like in front of his back pocket or whatever. So I think this might be the crystal from the museum that he took when his mom was talking, or Superman's mom. And Jonathan's like, it's okay, it'll be over soon. And then, shunk, stabs him in the chest with the crystal. And Lana, like, you know, she sees it. She, like, flinches, you know, looks looks away. And then he's like, tell my Lana I'll be back soon. So John Henry, you know, he's chopped off some crystals. He's like, that should do it. Then the portal starts shimmering, and Bizarro Lana arrives. She's, like, backwards. She's like, who are you? And John Henry tells Natalie to go outside and yell for Superman. She's like, no, I'm not leaving you. And he's like, you know, she doesn't want to leave, but... So Lana shoves them both back because, you know, it's more about the shoving. And, you know, Natalie's like knocked out, you know, because she hits like the side of the wall, whatever. And then she tries blasting John Henry. I think I think what happened is she tried doing her fire breath, but it, it turned to ice. No, that doesn't make sense, though, because it, it, maybe she just missed him. But there's like it seems like something odd. Jonathan still had his fire breath. So I was thinking maybe because she's on this world, her powers are different or flipped like how they should be. I don't know. It's not important. So Jonathan says that uh, he's coming, that John L. So John L. arrives. Jordan goes out. John L.'s like, your dad's not going to stop me this time. They start, like, grappling. And then Lana makes her way over to Superman, and he whispers, like, you have to help get, you know, get the kryptonite out. Lana tells, bizarre Lana tells John Henry to get out of her way or die, but, of course, he can't understand her. And he, like, blasts her with, I think it was a red sun gun, and she's just like, she's kind of looks at her hand or whatever. Her face is kind of like scarred up and stuff like that. And then it heals. And she's like, kind of smiles because uh, basically he's like, whoops. Or he's like, oh crap. Because basically he healed her. Maybe, I guess he didn't get the memo about the red sun on her planet. The boys are still fighting. Jordan's, he's kind of getting beat up. <laughs> Lois comes out. She's like, yells at him, stop. And he's like, oh yeah, go ahead. Just keep screaming. So she's, and she's like, Clark, Clark. She's like yelling. But Clark is like, Get crypt, kryptonite sticking out of his chest so Lana's like starting to pull the pieces out there's just like a lot of them Bizarro Lana is like slamming John Henry like back and forth along the, the sides of a cave passageway he's like man he's gotta be like jelly now he's just like all out and then she's about to like stomp on his face and then she's like you should have moved but then Natalie stabs her like in the, the back of the shoulder with a yellow K crystal. And I, I'm assuming it hurt her because I think the yellow K is like green K on their world. She's like, I'll be back for you both. Jonathan's pounding on Jordan. Bam, 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 bam. And Lana's like, she's got all the little pieces out. There's just a big piece. So she just grabs it, pulls it out. And Superman like sits up some of whatever. And he, like, he's feeling better already. It's, it's just like that. Thank goodness, right? snaps a chain on her and he's like stay here it's like i'll be right back 
So John L. picks up Jordan, he punches him again, punches him again. He, sw- he swings again, but then Jordan catches his fist. Who's the weak one now? He punches him in the gut. Boom, 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 hitting him. Uppercut to the sky. He goes flying up there. Jordan flies up, punches him up again, over and over again. So now they're flying. Boom, boom, boom. He's like hitting him as he's flying in, in, in the sky. Then he punches him again. Jonathan goes flying, but then Jordan looks down and he starts falling. So I guess you know, he doesn't have the flying thing down just yet. Thankfully, Superman comes, catches them both, and he has a pendant in his hand. He goes up to John L. Jordan goes up to him. This is for my brother. So I was just like, whatever. So Superman, then he flies Lana home. She he thanks her for her help today, and she's like, "Oh, it was nothing." She's like, "You're you're the one who actually stopped him." And he's like, "You know, oh, don't say yourself short. This is the second time you helped me save lives." And she's like, "Is Jonathan going to be okay?" And he's like, uh, "It's like that wasn't the Jonathan Kent you know. He's from a, a different world entirely." And she's like, "Like your world?" Which that doesn't make. He's like, "Uh, sorta." I don't know why he just didn't say from a parallel universe. It's like kind of people need to understand that at least. So she's like, oh, that's terrifying, but a relief. She's like, I didn't know how I was going to face, you know, Lois and Clark after this. And he's like, I'll fill Lois in on everything. And she says, she's like, oh, so, you know, I shouldn't tell him about this. He's like, I can't ask you to lie. And she's like, yeah, but, you know, if this got out, it'd be hard for them. And And Superman's like, well, the Lois I know could handle it. And she's like, it's not Lois that I'm worried about. And Superman's like, you're a good friend, Lana. And she's like, do you want to come in? It's like, okay, wait, is she kind of flirting with Superman now? You know, she is maybe separating from her husband, but he's like, uh, I probably should get going. And he's like, and your family is probably worried about you. And she's like, you're right. So she realizes that, you know, sir, must be freaking out. John Henry and Natalie are talking and, you know, he's like, oh, I'm supposed to be the one protecting you. And she's like, well, I'm not a little kid anymore. And then, you know, there's going to be more crazy Lana coming. So he says, well, maybe, you know, if unless there isn't a portal for them to come out of. he So he has an idea. She's like, what What are you talking about? He's like, oh, don't worry about it. I got it. She's like, you should let me know. And he's like, oh, no. So he goes off to do something. I don't know. And then she starts looking at the device specs. And I think she's thinking about, like, the power source problem. Like, you know, how can they, they fix this? At the farm... So it's like, you know, what's going to happen with, with Bizarro John L or whatever. And Lois is like, well, you know, your, your grandfather have it taken care of. And they're like, where's, well, where's going to be taken to like where Tal Rowe is. And he's, you know, she's like, you know, you have nothing to worry about. But then Jonathan says until Ellie shows up. So they'll deal with her when the time comes. And then she's like, you know, well, in the meantime, you know, it's like, you're right about the letter. You know, was it wasn't, maybe it wasn't a good idea. So then Jordan's like, read it. And Jonathan's like, Jordan, and he's like, no, like he's like, I, w- I want to hear what she thinks. So she starts, you know, reading it. She looks at him. You're going to tell Sarah your secret, and then the Jonathan, and you knew about this. So he's, and it's like, she's like, why does everything have to be an act of defiance with you two? He's like, don't you get that we're on your side? And Jonathan's like, well, you know, don't you get that we're on yours? It's like I, I don't even know what that means. And she says that she feels like the family keeps drifting apart. And Jordan's like, well, maybe we weren't that close, which is like a crappy thing to say. Clark comes home and he sees like something is up. He's like, uh, they're, they ask, is Lon okay? He's like, yeah. And Jonathan's like, except that she's going to think that I'm a kidnapping psychopath. And Clark's like, I told her about, you know, all about that. And Jordan's like, oh, what? You, you told her everything? And he's like, as Superman. So Jonathan's like, oh, so your secrets are still safe. He's, Clark's like it is but maybe it shouldn't be and he's like 
John Henry and Natalie sent you know doppelganger Lana back, but she'll probably return, so Lana will still be in danger. And Lois is like, "What are you saying?" He's like, "You know, I came back here to talk to you as a family because you know this will affect you too. So if you're okay with it, Lois is like, "Absolutely." And Jordan's like, "Yes." And Jonathan's like, "Go." And he's like, uh, "Oh, okay then. Uh, wish me luck." So Lana's driving back to the office. She's talking to Sarah on, on the phone, and she says that she'll be there soon. And Sarah's like, she's, you know, she's like, well, I'm still kind of freaked out. She's like, what happened? Lana's like, yeah, I just needed some air, and somehow today got away from me. And you can tell Sarah's not buying it. Then uh, there's someone up in the road, and Lana's like, uh, I need to go. She like ends the call. So Clark's standing there. So she gets out. She's like, what are you doing here? He's like, I need to talk to you. And she's like, this really isn't a good time. He's like, Lana, there's something I, something I've wanted to tell you my entire life. And she's like, how did you even know that I was going to be here? She's like, you know, it doesn't matter. He's like, Lana. And she says that she does want to hear what he has to say, but she's had the longest day and he has no idea what she's been through. He's like, but I, I do know actually. And she's like, what? He's like, I was there. He's like, Lana, I, I was with you. And she's like, what are you talking about? And then there's a pause and then he takes off his glasses and it was a pretty cool shot the way they framed it. Cause you just see kind of like the, the side of, of Clark's like, legs or whatever and he like just takes the glasses and he's holding them down so you it's like because first you see lana standing there she's in focus and then the, i don't know what you call this i'm sure there's a name for it but then like the, the focus sh- shifts to you to the, the glasses so low lana's blurry but you just see the gla- him standing here with the glasses so I, I, I thought that was kind of neat and then he like starts floating up a bit and she's like my god and then he like blows some smoke and he ices up a tree and she's like you're superman and he just kind of hangs there in the sky, and it's over. Until May 31st. May 31st! <laughs> and that May 31st is a season, fin- I think, pretty sure it's a season finale. So, what's going to happen? I'm sure Lana's going to be mad. You've lied to me your whole life, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I don't get why people don't understand. It's like, you don't have to share everything with everyone. And just because you don't tell someone your secret doesn't mean you're lying. It just means you're not telling them. And of course, the main thing is it's about her safety. Because if it gets out that she knows Superman's secret, she's a target. But people don't see that. They're just selfish and they're always so hurt. Oh, you didn't tell me. It's like, why would he tell you? Do you tell him everything, you know, your deepest, darkest secrets? Like, do you tell him what you do or what you think when you're home alone? Like, have you ever, like, had fantasies about Clark or what? Because I don't know. I think they liked each other. It's like, do you ever, like, say, no, you don't tell everyone all this stuff. (sighs) But it was a good episode. All right. With The Flash, season eight, episode 13, Death Falls. So things are just wacky. And it's 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 kind of interesting. At first, it's like, what is this? What's happening with Iris's powers and with Deathstorm? So last episode, we saw the return of Eddie Thawne, and it's like, wait, what? So he's standing in front of Iris, and he's like, oh, I missed you so much. And then she starts getting like one of her headaches. So again, is this something to do with the time thing? Did she somehow pull him out of time? And he's he goes up to her. He's like, oh, you feel flushed. He's like, oh, you probably need your favorite. I'll make you some chamomile tea or whatever. And he's like, you know, I'm not leaving until you feel better. And then Sue, who's like sitting on the couch, she like wakes up and she's like, Iris, why is there an attractive blonde man in your kitchen? And then he's like, oh, hey, I'm Eddie, Eddie Thon, Iris's fiance. And he has like this creepy smile. 
And right at the same moment, the tea kettle goes off, which is like, they must have like a super fast tea kettle because it heated up really fast. At the CCPD, or, you know, you see on the news, they issued a, a citywide curfew because of all like, the grief and the dust storm stuff. Barry returns to Star Labs and, you know, there's no sign of dust storm. You can't find her anywhere. Allegra and Chester working in this chambered thing that's going to somehow turn Frost into an anti death storm she'll have all his powers and you know the heat and the flying and whatever but then cecile calls him to the med lab and something's going with caitlin and she tells him that uh cecile says that she just felt another big surge of grief and caitlin says that she keeps seeing her dad dying like over and over again so death storm must have dialed up one of her like worst memories when he was trying to convert her into like whatever he's doing so Frost asks Barry, she's like, how long until the device is ready? He's like, uh, maybe an hour or so. She's like, that's not fast enough. So she's going to call for backup. So she calls Mark Blaine, uh, Chill Blaine, her boyfriend. Um, and then, <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't stand this. Um, Chester's walking down the hall with like a box. He's singing to himself. The, like the this bone's connected to the that bone, you know, that song. Except he's doing this circuit's connected to the whatever something else circuit and then he's like oh he's like smiling and he's so clever with his songwriting skills and he's just so freaking annoying and then the lights go out and he gets scared <laughs> allegra is like in that break room place and she's pouring some coffee oh, she drinks a lot of coffee the lights go out <laughs> Barian is in uh the gideon room and you know because he was trying to run a scan like have gideon run a scan on iris her condition to see if there's anything they can find any cures or you know throughout the timeline or whatever and uh then he asks if she can search any extra dimensional energies or cold fusion anomalies to try to find dust storm but then gideon flickers off so like the power is going out you know everywhere frost sees several alerts pop up on screen and she's like he's here and then you hear actually i'm everywhere and then she turns around tries you know throwing ice blasts at him but it goes right through him he's like and nowhere so ronnie's there um and he you know he, he talks about being you know born a long time ago blah 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 energies this and that whatever and it's this not ronnie it's it's death storm whatever so he's like i am at the i'm the master of death and all of its inhabitants or whatever so allegra sees esperanza i feel like she just saw her so she's back chester sees his dad barry sees his mom and then they all call on the comms you know ronnie shorts it out he's like oh it's, you know it's quieter where i'm from and then she says that if he takes one step towards katie she'll send him back to hell and she makes like this big ice spike like she's gonna stab him he's like well where i'm from is further than hell so he was he said he was there up until the singularity when when ronnie died sacrifice and stuff whatever so she asks if he's going after katie because he's lonely and he you know he talks about ronnie's suffering or you know it's like something like directing him towards her so she says that you know she'll show him suffering and she stabs him with the ice spike and he just like looks at her and he's he's like i can't be hurt he just pulls it out and he mentions that you know she doesn't have anyone to grieve and her grief isn't real because so basically he's using the others to generate this grief that powers him and because he says that the sadness that she's experienced is just a copy of real emotions just like her and he's like saying you know she's not a real person and then she's like starts getting mad and you know he's like well you can't aid me in my cause because you're not real stuff like that 
So that's like the big question is like, is she real? So Chester and Allegra, they get chased into like this, the, the big storage room or whatever. And, and then they're wondering like, well, if they're ghosts, you know, why don't they just walk through the walls? And then they're like, is it getting hot in here? And they, they noticed that the, the door controls have been fried. So the two ghosts wanted them to go in there and like, so they could get trapped in there. Barry's talking to his mom and he's like, you're not my mom, whatever. He goes for the door, but then he like burns himself. And she's just going on and on about how she's been watching him his entire life, you know, all the stuff that's going on with Iris. And he's, you know, she's like, there's no cure for temporal sickness. You know, there's no secret cure out there, whatever. He's like, you're going to lose her forever. And Barry's like, it's not true. And she says that, you know, he can't have a family. You know, his father died, she died, and now his poor sick wife is going to die. So obviously, this is all fake stuff to try to get him, trying to get everyone to feel more grief and get upset. Eddie, meanwhile, pours tea for iris iris tries uh distracting eddie saying oh she's like i'm hungry she's like i go for something like your chicken soup and so he's looking for the fridge to see if you know they have the ingredients or whatever sue's like sneaking you know to reaching for her phone on like the coffee table and then eddie's like in the fridge and he's like oh i don't see that he's like but i do see you and so when she touches her phone it she dropped it's like she gets burned too so they they try running to the front door but then iris burns her hand on the doorknob so there's like just all this heat everywhere trapping everyone so this eddie isn't a result of iris's time sickness it's something because of death storm obviously cecile senses something's coming caitlin opens her eyes and then they're all black so her vitals are spiking she's burning up cecile says that it's not death storm it's the team's grief so she felt this before. She can feel all her pain, her sadness pouring out of them and into Caitlin. Then Chill Blaine arrives. I, I think he stole some tech device for Frost to, so they can get the, the chamber ready faster. Allegra is trying to break down the door. She's blasting it. She's like, what is this made out of titanium? And Chester's like, oh, yeah, actually it is or something like that. And they're trying to figure out like how hot it is. And he said the thermostat stopped at 137 degrees. So that means it must be hotter in there. But it's weird because like they're barely 137 degrees, and it's like they're barely even sweating. There's a little bit of sweat, but it, it should their brains would be fried at at this point. But I, I guess not because they're Team Flash. So all his tech is is brick from the heat. You know he doesn't know what he can do. Then Chester's dad appears and starts blah 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 bunch of mumbo jumbo and. Um, Esperanza shows up because you know she wants to watch Allegra die and everything like that. Barry's arguing with his mom. She talks about how like Barton Nor won't be born. His legacy isn't heroism; it's heartbreak. Eddie's going on and on about nothing, about you know being sacrificed for nothing, and that her death will be just as pointless as his. Then he says something. He's like something's wrong, and he looks at Sue. He's like, why is she happy? So she managed to hit the panic button apparently on her phone. Joe arrives with like some big gun. I don't know if it's like a freeze gun or whatever. He blasts Eddie and then they go to leave. But then Sue sees her Nana dying and then she starts getting, you know, upset. Joe sees his ex-wife like right before she dies. So now they're hooked into it. Chill Blaine is starting up the chamber tech thing um, on his own. It's like, I didn't realize, I, maybe I just didn't pay attention, but it seems, I mean, Chilblain knew what he was doing. He knew how, like, what the control. If you put me in front of his controls, like, okay, what am I supposed to push? How do I start this thing? I don't know because he steals a lot of tech stuff to, so he can sell it. That he knows how it works, but it's just like, dude, you know, 
if you're on Team Flash, yeah, you're an expert on everything, and you can make up stuff like science that that will save the day. But it's like he's not on Team Flash, but somehow he's able to do all this. So he gets it started. Frost screams in pain, and he asks like, if um, is she like anti dust storm? Did it work or whatever? She tries, but nothing happens. So it's supposed to convert and like any sentient being or something like that. So then she's like, the the problem is her. And so she goes on after what Deathstorm Ronnie said. She's going on about how she's just a copied original, and now she's going to get Katie killed. That this was her chance, but now it's not going to work. But Mark says like, if she's not really alive, then you know where does that leave him? Because she's the only one who really cares about him, and you know she's changed him and had this effect and blah blah blah. Chester, now he's, you know, he can't get the door open and he's you know, trying to use a crowbar and all this stuff. His dad's just giving him a hard time about how he's failing. Allegra tells um, Chester that, you know, right now she's feeling happy. You know, she's happy that she met him and he says that he is too. Barry's feeling grief. His mom's talking about all his failures. Frost talks to Katie. You know, she's worried that, you know, before when they shared a body that she was only going to get half a life, but that now you know she makes her life complete so she can't imagine losing her that she she loves her and then she starts feeling um a little pain through a tear and then then she flames up so it turns out the machine did work uh she just had to feel some grief or something like that so now (laughs) she's in her frost costume but instead of white hair she has black hair and she's like no i'm not just frost i'm hell frost oh man so she sends out this like big blast of energy that apparently wipes out everyone's grief like all the grief that they're feeling including joe and sue who are like halfway across town or wherever and cecile says the team is all okay because she can sense everyone i guess and then chill blaine asks he's like well what do we do now and she's like <laughs> so now um hellfrost says kick some ass and save my sister she's like oh my gosh so allegra tells her she's like oh you look totally badass i was like um okay really and chilblain he wants to be her backup when she goes after deathstorm but she's like no you know it's just me but you know then what if something goes wrong and barry's like whoa and i'll get you out of there in a flash and and then or she's he's she says something like that that in a flash thing and chilblain's like wait uh very flash and then they kind of like move away and you see there's you know there's the big flash costume sitting in there so so he knows that barry's a flash (laughs) everyone knows it's like dude barry just just tell everyone there's no point don't even wear your mask so i guess he's part of team flash now (laughs) so chester is sitting in front of the computer allegra's just like standing with her arms crossed barry standing waiting to zip off it's like so no one's doing this is the problem there's so many people no one is doing anything they just stand there so mark is like do you do this all the time and there's like yeah that's what they do they do they're like yep and then he's like how can you stay so calm it's nerve-wracking as hell and allegra's like welcome to superheroing 101 i guess what that you just stand around and wait ronnie walks up to caitlin in a room because he uh, but it turns out it's really Frost. She had like an image inducer or something like that. I didn't realize they had that. I thought only Nightcrawler and the X-Men had one. He's like, what have you done? So she grabs him and she zips him up to the sky and she's like, I'll bring you to Ash. And then he's like, you first or whatever. And he says that and then she says, you first, I think. I don't remember. So then we get this big fight and it's it's a big CG fight. 
and it, it you, you can tell the CG, but whatever, you know, they're they're trying. Uh, so they they blast each other. Sky, she then she rips off the, like the stabilizer thing in his chest, and he like cries out. So he starts like falling apart. She absorbs his grief or his essence or something. I don't know, whatever. And then Chester, <laughs> that's it, party people. <laughs> what the what's with this party people? And I almost swore there. <laughs> what the heck's with this party people? <laughs> maybe i should start calling you guys party people you my party people podcast listeners uh so all traces of the energy is gone but now frost isn't feeling so hot so she's like out in the street like on the comms whatever after defeating him so she faints barry now zips over he doesn't even get there and catch her and and the thing is so when he goes from star labs to where caitlin's at he takes the time to change into his costume. So yes, he's a flash and you do it in, in a whatever super fraction of a second, but was that really necessary? So he changed, he, he gets her and uh, he turns over and then he, he's just like looking at her. It's like, he doesn't know what to do. It's like, take her back to the med lab. So now she's laying in the bed. Caitlin's up. So she's all better. And uh, you know, she's putting on a white coat to, to get all into the role. Mark is like getting all antsy and, you know, he wants to go to her and Barry and Cecile have to explain to him that, you know, that can't help that they have to let Caitlin work. So he has to stand back. Caitlin thinks that she's having trouble handling the power because Deathstorm was, has been doing this for like, I don't remember if she said a millennia or whatever, Donna time. And, you know, she's just got these powers, but then, so Caitlin's going to inject her with cold fusion. It's like, is that a thing? You can do that. Um, so it seems like it works. So Barry's like, you did it. And Caitlin smiles. Frost opens her eyes. She looks at Caitlin, but she's like expressionless. Then she closes her eyes. And then the monitor flatlines. So Caitlin gets the defibrillators clear, beep, clear, clear, heart compression, trying it. And then Barry's like, Frost, or Caitlin, Caitlin, Caitlin. It's it's too late. Um, and he's just standing in shock. So Frost is dead. You didn't see you didn't see it coming. You didn't see it coming? I didn't see it coming. So the CCPD has lifted a curfew on the news. Everyone is uh um waiting in the the break room and they say, you know, Caitlin and Barry have been in there for, forever. So Cecile which is weird because Cecile's like, Oh, Frost will be okay. But it's like can she not feel her? Can she not feel like their despair over the fact that she died? Sue and Iris are there too. So then Mark is talking about it. It's like, oh, you know, if anything happened, you know, I can't, I can't believe you know, she's in my life. I'm so lucky to have her and everything. And then Barry walks in with his head down and they're like, what's going on? Or something. And Caitlin walks in and Barry's like, something happened. And Mark's like, where is she? Where's, where's, where's Frost? And Caitlin's like, Frost died. And Mark's like, that's not possible. And Caitlin's like, I'm sorry. She didn't make it. She's gone. Everyone um, starts everyone starts crying air quotes no one has any tears no one has watery eyes or red eyes or nothing like that everyone's so you know caitlin's like mad sobbing she's so upset not a single tear (laughs) start cutting some onions man get them crying um yeah so next week apparently is gonna be like a big memorial so that's it for frost which is too bad because i liked her but we still have caitlin so that was the flash this week all right with moon knight episode six gods and monsters again still no idea um i i think 
Oscar Isaac even apparently just recently said like he like what they've been saying that this is the last episode. They're not, you know, it, it was always meant to be a, mini, a limited series, which I don't understand why the whole social media thing, deleting the limited series, calling it a season finale or whatever. But we'll have to see. I mean, it just seems like because of Oscar Isaac and his him being in demand, I'm assuming that it maybe would be easier to do a Moon Knight movie or maybe it'd be easier to have him appear in something like Blade. Because I'm trying to think like what's coming up that he could possibly pop up in. And that's like the only thing. So this is it. Of course, you know, every, he's dead anyway. So it doesn't make sense for there to be season two, right? It starts off with like the end by Earl Grant plays, which, you know, this is a lot of good music in this, this show. So Mark's body's floating in the water. And then a couple of Harrow's uh, goons kind of like pull him out. Harrow's handed the Amit statue. And then he, he looks at the body and he whispers, he's like, sorry, I had to be this way, Mark. Mark or sorry, I had to be this way, Mark Spector, Stephen Grant, and whoever else might be in there. And he puts the scarab on his chest, which is weird. I guess he doesn't need anymore. But it's, it's important for later, I guess. Layla's like still hiding behind a pillar. Um, Harold continues like sometimes we need the cold light of death before we can see reality so Layla takes out this one goon and you know she grabs him from behind Harold kind of hears something and he, but I guess he just ignores it so she Layla puts a guy in like a sleeper hold and like knocks him out and then Harold holds up the Amit statue and his followers there they all bow and he's like who wants to heal the world and then his cane kind of transfers a bit like you know because there's always kind of like this alligator head handle thing but it's like it gets bigger and there's more of like the the purple light and all, all that so they start to leave and then layla goes over to mark's body so she like checks on him and then she realizes that he's, he's dead so she's like fighting back the, the sobs and everything like that then she sees a scarab on his chest which you know is important um and then but his body just kind of slips back in the water and she's like okay whatever so she just leaves it there so they're driving in like uh suvs you know there's like four suvs that make their way back onto road there's like this police roadblock but it's, it's almost like they could have gone around it so they stop and you know a bunch of people start getting out of cars and, and you know all these soldiers whatever they have their their rifles out and harrow's like it's like oh it's all right it's all right you know he's like he's like you know you don't need to see our our papers or whatever and then uh he says or they, they need to show them their souls though so he slams on his cane and like no one reacts you know they're all like tense fingers on a trigger he lifts his cane up and no one takes that as a move a threat so he slams it out uh slams it out then like purple this purple wave goes out and then like their souls start shimmering up and one dude kind of turns purplish you know his body kind of but then his soul stays with them so harrow's like this is the face of a good man so and layla was there you know she was hiding out in the back truck you know kind of lifting like a mask over the bottom of her, her face you know so she climbs out of the truck she pulls out a knife you know because she's just going to take her out and then there's one like dead soldier starts talking in, in Towerette's voice. He's like, don't do it, Layla. Wait, I am the goddess Towerette. And, and she, even though she says her name, Layla's like, ignored. she's like, here's, she's like, what? And she keeps walking. Another body starts talking. It's Mark who's who's telling you to stop. And then she's like, what? 
what the heck is this? So the body groans, goes back to being dead, then starts up again. She's like, you know, he's dead, and I'm talking to you through dead people right now. So, and she's like, so what? She was like, listen, Harold's too powerful for you to stop alone. If Mark can return to life, and she's like, what do you mean return to life? So the others have cleared the dead cop bodies. So it's time to go as they start getting back into the truck. So she gets in her, like where she was at. They reach a pyramid. So I guess they, they go over to Cairo or whatever. Harold brings his cane down. Part of the pyramid starts opening up. Inside, that one uh, main avatar um, council dude who doesn't seem to do much, he mentions there's a disturbance or whatever. And he's talking to the other avatars and he like wonders if their gods felt it too. And then the one lady, I forget her name, that, that kind of helped uh, Mark out, says that someone is trying to release Amit, which is like, uh, that's exactly what Kanchu said, you bunch of knuckleheads. So Harold leads his followers inside, including, you know, Layla's like hanging out in the back. Uh, the other Avatar dudes are just like standing there, you know, I guess they're going to stop him. But Harold's like, you're just judges, not warriors. So he's like, this doesn't need to happen. But then they start fighting. Layla uses the opportunity to duck off. She goes over to where all the little statue to gods are. And she finds Kanchu's statue. Harold says, you know, he's like, this could have been avoidable. So the Avatar people are all lying on the ground. Then he takes the Amit statue, slams it down on the floor. The place starts rumbling. Smoke starts rising. There's purple light. This giant form appears. You know, Amit, big alligator head Amit there. Everyone bows, and Ahmed's like, to whom do I owe my gratitude? And Harold's like, your humble disciple, my goddess, to whom you owe nothing. And she's like, your scales lack balance. And he says that he understands. He had hoped that his penance might correct his imbalance. So I don't know if that's why he's constantly walking with broken glass in his shoes. So he says that he sees that that isn't the case. And then he's like, I, I accept the scales regardless of the outcome. Amit says that they lack balance because of what lies ahead of him. And Harold's like, then we must spare the world the pain I will cause. I willingly submit. Amit's like, what lies ahead of you is your service to me. And he's like, how can I serve you in death? And she's like, your death is delayed. She once relied on a servant whose scales balanced perfectly. In exchange, she was bound to stone for 2,000 years. So he says that this, her, he has disciples all over the world whose scales balance perfectly. They're waiting her command. They're worthy. But she says that he is the one who set her free. So he is the avatar that she needs. So serve her and he will find peace. So she puts her hand on his head and, and she's like, do not let the pain of the past control you. And his eyes start to glow purple. So Layla, where she's at, she stomps on the Kanchu statue, Kanchu forms. He's like, I do not sense Mark Spector in this world. So he died fighting, no doubt. So she says, fighting your war. And Kanchu's like, it's far from over. If Mark is truly gone, then, you know, then that means he's in need of an avatar. He's like, would you, Layla El Faule, protect the travelers? And she's like, are you joking? It's like, you turned Mark's life into a walking into a waking nightmare she's like why would i ever sign up for that and she's like he or he says because you won't win against harrow and Ahmet alone and she says that she'll take her chances and Kanchu says that mark was in crisis over her that his lack of focus got him killed it's like how do you know you don't even know how he died and you're saying it's his lack of focus so he's like you need a plan little bug what i offer she's like i don't care what you can offer she's like mark didn't trust you i don't trust you 
will work together without me enslaving myself. And Kanshu says that they must rebind Amit. And she's like, how? He's like, only an avatar can do it, which seems kind of convenient. So she's like, no. And Kanshu like takes off. He like disappears out of her. So Amit, she's like, let us purify the sounds of Cairo and then the world or something like that. So Kanchu appears in front of Harrow and his men, and Amit says, Kanchu, time has been cruel to you. And he's like, indeed, I cannot allow you to proceed. So Harrow whispers, he's like, there's someone else here. He's like, find who released him. So in the field of reeds, Mark's standing there, and Tarot's voice says, the scales are balanced, his heart is full, his journey is over. So Mark is holding like a full-sized white heart in his hand, and Mark's like, it's so quiet. And she says that it's a peace that he's always wanted but never had, and he's manifesting it. So there's no danger, no loneliness, no hurt. Um, then he's like, well, what about Stephen? And she's like, he's gone. The duat has him. So she's like, you know, please enjoy your peace. Then after a bit, he's like, uh, no, he's like, we need to go back for him. And she's like, it doesn't work that way. If you leave here, you can't return, which seems like a, a weird rule. Anyways, she's like, you don't need him anymore. And Mark's like, so what so i get eternal peace and he stays lost in the sand forever he's like i'm not good with that so he he turns around and then like the whole bright yellow world read you know the sunlight it turns like that night blue and like sand and then he sees steven like still in the sand like behind him meanwhile amit says to kanchu that her path is set same as anyone's she's here to bring balance kanchu says that you know she speaks of balance yet chose harrow so her avatar is a sinner and she says oh you're just jealous of his loyalty and he says you know loyalty at what cost an empty world for her disciples to, to inherit harrow um butts in he's like oh don't listen to him he only wants to you know keep you bound so it's like harrow what do you know <laughs> mark approaches stephen and he's like tries joking and to say oh whatever then you know, he says that he saved him, that he was always there. You know, he's alive and full of hope. You know, he tried to you know, protect that and he failed. And then um, he's like, you know, Stephen didn't abandon him. So there's no way that, you know, Mark's like, there's no way I'm going to abandon you. He's like, you are the only real superpower I ever had. So he puts his heart in his like outreached hand. And then mark kind of starts turning to sand himself but but then like the gates are opening behind him and then the heart lights up and steven starts waking up and then mark reverts back he's waking up so they're both awake they help each other up and steven's like you came back he's like what the heck is wrong with you and mark says that you know he just did a little speech and he explained it all they hug or whatever and they see that the gates open so amit is attacking kanchu they start fighting there's this big sand tidal wave coming for mark and steven so they have to get to the gates but they're like um so it must be steven that's injured there's like kind of so it must be him because he's like kind of hobbling so they're trying to trying to get to the the gate but the sand is coming and then tower comes in a boat she's like Woo! and then steve's like hippo <laughs> amit says you know tell me to spare you and i will because you know she's kind of got you know can't con you on the ropes and he's like i choose obliteration over mercy over her mercy then um steven and mark make it to the gate mark wakes up in the water and Kanchu immediately senses him and he disappears out of the the main chamber so there's like some flashback to mark's life Kanchu's like i feel the pain inside you do you want death or do you want life do you swear to protect to, to protect the travelers of the night rise and live again all that stuff and in the bullets you see bloop bloop they like fall on the, the, the stones so they must have popped out of, of his body 
And then as he stands, the Moon Knight suit forms over him in all its CG glory. <laughs> he sees Kanchu uh, outside, and Kanchu's like, I knew you'd miss me. And Mark's like, Layla turned you down, didn't she? But Kanchu doesn't reply to that. He's like, Amit has been freed. She's like, I was not strong enough to stop her. And he's like, Mark Spector, I need your help. So um, then Moon Knight turns into Mr. Knight. So Steven's in charge. And Steven's like, yeah, I'm curious. He's like, how is this new arrangement going to work? And Kanchu's like, Stephen Grant, I was not speaking to you. And he's like, yeah, all right. But we do come as like a package deal now. So you're going to have to deal with me. And he's like, and we did just save your life. So you're welcome for that. Then he says again, he doesn't think um, that he answered the question. You know, how is this going to work? And he's like, you would negotiate now with so much at stake? And he's like, well, we did learn from the best, you silly old bird. Kanchu says that he will release them both. Hence, emphasis on that. He will release them both. So think about that. He has their word. So Stephen says that he likes the sound of that. Then he's like, you know, how the heck is he going to get to Cairo? Kanchu's like, you forget, little worm. I am the god of the night sky. So it turns kind of dark. And then um, Stephen, he's like, this is Mark, he's like, well, I'll let you take this one. So then he jumps up and his cape kind of makes the shape of a moon and it like overlaps the moon in the sky. Um, one of the counselor, counselor avatar dudes is trying to crawl on the ground. Layla finds him, helps him, you know, to find a hiding spot. And he asks if she's the one that released Kanchu. And she's like, yeah. And she's like, how do we stop Amit? He grunts at this chamber is their most powerful place. So from there, they need to imprison Amit in a mortal form. So she'll be vulnerable in a human form instead of a statue, which I don't understand that logic, but I guess that's how it works. So she's like, okay, how do we do it? He's like, they need more avatars than they have left. And then he falls over. So I guess he's dead. So she thinks, and then she's like, Tower, are you there? And then in the dude's body, she screams, Layla! I don't know why she's so excited for Layla. Harrow hears it too. Like I think everyone in this whole tomb heard Tarot scream out her name, which doesn't make sense. Because like Mark could only hear Kanchu, no one else could. Harrow and his men start heading towards where Layla, where the, no the noise came from. And uh, she starts running. Tarot jumps into Layla, which is kind of weird. So she's, now she's talking to Layla through her body rather than manifesting outside like Kanchu and Amit does. The actress playing Layla has to like, like kind of move and then t speak in a higher voice and then then go back to her. So it just it just seemed a little little awkward, little out of place with the logic of how this all works. So Tower says that she'd be delighted to accept Layla as her avatar, but Layla insists temporary avatar. And she's like, of course. And she's like, oh, your father's gonna be over the moon when he hears. And she's like my father and she's like yeah i met him when i took him to the field of reeds and then she's like oh i have a fabulous costume in mind so now moon knight somehow is flying through the skies he's like Shoo. it's like um moon knight can't fly he, he's, he's never been able to fly but i guess because kanchu is god of the night what maybe he just made a bunch of wind carry him and so it looks like he's flying, but he's not. But it, it looks like it. So Harrow climbs to the top of a pyramid. He's looking over Cairo. So I guess he just decided to leave. He's like out there sightseeing. He talks and shoots out a beam into the sky. His followers' eyes glow like across the world, I guess, whatever. He's like, judge everyone. 
So they just start grabbing um, random people on the streets. The scales, the scales start going, and then souls start flying up like immediately. And the souls, I believe, are going into Ahmet, who is like outside the pyramid now, and it's making her get bigger and bigger. So like her form is is getting massive. Maybe that's how it works. Um, Layla now has a like this white and golden costume. She kicks down this tomb door. You know, no respect for the the history of the place. Souls are are going into Ahmet, and then uh, so she's just like gr- growing bigger and bigger. Moon Knight arrives by Harrow. They start like running towards each other. So it's kind of interesting. Moon Knight's running up, Harrow's running down the pyramid, but then somehow Moon Knight jumps up and like knees him in the face, which was a pretty pretty sweet move. But you think that Harrow would have the event he'd have step ground, but I guess not. So um, then they both start flying or something like that. They're like in in the in the sky because um, like Kanchu and Ahmet are humongous in fighting. So that's the thing, uh, Ahmet. I thought was growing because of all the souls. I don't know how or why Kanchu would be like the same size because he's not swallowing souls, but maybe he's just different god powers. Um, Mr. Knight appears and and then then he goes back so because they're, they're they're like in the sky and they're like kind of falling. And Mr. Knight like changes back into Moon Knight, so they kind of smash into the city streets. Amit tells Kanchu that you know he should be at her side, and he says that you know he only punishes the guilty. Harrow's about to blast Moon Knight with his cane, but then Layla comes and gives him a flying kick. Mark sees her costume, and he's like, he kind of smiles, whatever. Harrow gets up, shoots a blast from his cane at her, but she blocks it with the wings, and it bounces back at him and knocks him like off his feet. Mark goes to Layla, and they hug. Uh, she didn't know that he was back. She's like, how? And Steven comes out, and he's like, oh, you look amazing. And he's like, what are you wearing? So Amit is like, you know, why fight knowing you will fail? And Kanchu's like, because it is my choice, the very thing you take away. Which, you know, as as jerky as Kanchu is, you know, he kind of has a point, I think, maybe, sort of. Steven says to Layla that, you know, he's really jazzed about showing her th- these new skill sets that they have. So this is the other part that doesn't really make sense. So Steven's like, now he knows how to fight is basically what he's saying. So they run towards a Harrow's goon and Mr. Knight is taking out several of them. So he, you know, he has his truncheons. He's like fighting. He even does this like kind of fancy sideways twirl leap to dodge one of Harrow's blasts. And then, you know, he throws a truncheon at him. Harrow blocks it. It bounces off the wall, but then Moon Knight is the one to catch it. So it's like, I guess Mr. Knight, Moon Knight are like flipping back and forth, whatever. It's basically Steven and Mark. Moon Knight does this leap, you know, takes out two thugs with crescents. Layla's fighting Harrow's with her swords against his cane. Moon Knight joins in. Harrow, you know, blasts the ground, sends them flying back. Then he goes to attack Layla, but then Mr. Knight tackles him. They fight. Harrow flings Mr. Knight like across the way into like this other building, whatever. Then a grappling hook flies at him. Moon Knight comes back. So he's just like switching back and forth like on the fly, which is makes, you know, keeps Harrow off his, on his toes or whatever. They, they're fighting more. Layla grabs his cane. They're both taking him on. And then uh, there's like some, this was kind of weird. Some civilians decide they're going to get the heck out of there. They get in a van. But then Harold, one of his blasts goes and hits it. Then it flips. So then Layla goes and she saves this girl from getting hit. And the girl's like, are you an Egyptian superhero? And she's like, I am. I don't know if that was cute or if it was cringy. So she's fighting more thugs, blocking their bullets and everything like that. Harold's talking about 
to mark like how randall would have been saved if it wasn't for for him so he's just like blasting at him moon knight grabs a crescent and he's so he's like blocking the blast and then he it, it gets like flung out of his hand and it like pins lila's arms against the bottom of the van so her arm is stuck now um the blast knocks moon knight down so mark is kind of dazed amit can you can she can be seen like knocking Kanchu down in the background with like his staff harold slams the cane onto moon knight's chest and then he sees layla getting shot with the machine guns like and she's like blocking it but she's like just pinned there because she's she's stuck to the van then moon knight flickers out and uh then mark wakes up holding the cane like a piece of it and he's got like an unconscious and bloody harold like he's grabbing a shirt and he's like out laying down so there's like fire in the street there's rubble and then mark's like uh that wasn't you was it steven and then steven pops in he's like not a chance mate then he changes back layla's still pinned and then she's like mark it's like what the hell was that and now she finally decides to free her arm so mark's like i blacked out so obviously what does that mean it's not steven it's not uh mark so it's got to be jake so the question we have at this point of the show is like, well, what did it look like? If Moon Knight is what Mark looks like, Mr. Knight, the suit, is what Steven looks like. So the big question everyone would have is like, what the heck does Jake look like? Because Layla even said, what the hell was that? So it must have been something. But we don't see anything there. They see Amit dragging Kanchu. She, she tells Mark to get Harrow. She knows how to stop Amit. So she, and she picks up like the broken pieces of his king. Harrow's like placed on this like busted slab of stone, and she's like, "The power of this room will help us bind Amit to Harrow's body." So she's like, "Grab my hand, so we can start the, the spell." They're chanting an ancient Egyptian. Purple light starts um, going from their hand and like forms a circle. Kanchu tells Amit that she will be destroyed. She starts to get sucked by by the power and pulled into Harrow's body. Harrow's eyes, he's like wide-eyed as and as Amit, he's like, you can never contain me. I'll never stop. Kanchu tells Mark to finish it. And Mark, he gets a, a crescent. He prepares to finish him. And Kanchu says that while he lives, so does she. So then Mark says to himself, he's like, I have to do this. You know, it's like, I will never be free. Then Layla comes out. She's like, you have a choice. He's like, you are free. And Kanchu says that the choice is vengeance, that he has to stop her. And Mark says that that sounds like how she talks. So he's like, if he tells Kanchu, he's like, if you want him dead, you do it. And he's like, now release us as you wish. So Mark exhales, bright light, and then uh, we see Stevens back at the asylum. So it's like, wait, what? And so he's like, this is what reality looks like? So Dr. Harrow's there, and he says that you know everything is first created in imagination. So then uh, Stevens like, asks him if he believes in Kanchu and Amit, and Harrow's like, no. But then Mark asks, he's like, well, what if they believe in something different? And Harrow says that, that means that their work here continues and steven's like for how long for as long as a a piece of string it's like what as uh harrow's like walking from the chair to go around to his desk his feet start leaving leaving uh bloody footprints and harrow's like why am i bleeding and steven says i don't think you know as much as you think you do and then mark says he's like and while it's tempting to accept your diagnosis doc steven says we'd rather go save the world later gators 
and then he zooms out. So Mark wakes up in his bed in his apartment and he sits up. He's like, Stephen, you there? And Stephen's like, hmm. Then he looks at the fish tank. There's two fish in there. And then Stephen says that he can't believe it worked. Mark says he can't believe that he lives in this freaking mess. Then he gets out of bed and his foot is so, so he like falls flat on his face and he lifts up his head and then he drops it back down to the ground, fade to black. And that's the end of the show. So it's like, what, what just happened? Uh, I mean, it, it's just, it's weird because things are amping up. You know, we get this big fight, things are going crazy, you know, everything like that. And then Mark flickers out and, uh, you know, we, we don't, we don't even see what happens. And it's just like, now all of a sudden it's, that's it. So it, it, it's unfortunate. Cause I mean, this was like the shortest episode and it just feels like it just ended so quickly, but there is a mid credit scene. So we see heroes in an asylum. He like knocks over some like hot cooker or something like that. So nurse is like, Oh, it's time for bed. And there's like a, like a rubber duck that's dressed like a doctor or something like that. And then this dude in like a black jacket and gloves tells the nurse that he'll take him. And she's like, I beg your pardon. Then he, but you know, he says like in Spanish, he's like, calm down, miss, calm down. He says, as he wheels Harold down the hall and Harold kind of looks like towards the door, like that they should have gone through. But, but then as they're going down the hall, he looks in like one kind of doorway and there's like this unconscious and I think a conscious, maybe not an unconscious, but like a bloody nurse dude, like on the laying on the floor, there's like a pool of blood. So outside there's a big, huge white limo the the dude in black sort of like flings harrow into the limo into the back seat and, and he just like kicks the empty wheelchair over i mean instead of just pushing it no he kicks it so harrow like looks up and he laughs because he sees Kanchu wearing a white suit just sitting there so he's kind of wearing a suit like mr knight i don't know if he took the idea of the suit from steven or steven somehow took it from Kanchu. i think it's i think Kanchu thought it looked pretty slick and so he took the idea so and then he's like I told you, you can't hurt us. Kanchu's like, yeah, you want to know something? Mark Spector truly believed that after he and I parted ways, he that I wanted his wife to be my avatar. He's like, why would I ever need anybody else when he has no idea how troubled he truly is? So then he like knocks on the window and then he's like, meet my friend, Jake Lockley. So the divider thing goes down. So obviously it's Mark, but dressed differently and everything. So he turns around and he says today is your turn to lose in spanish he raises a gun and harold's like no no no!" he raises his hand he's like wait the limo drives away the license plate says s-p-k-t-r specter like in the comics and that is the end so that's the end of the series so moon knight still exists somehow or whatever and uh so i mean wouldn't mark and steven realize that something's up because they're going to be missing time again <sighs> and but so it's a sneaky thing because so what Kanchu says he's like i will release you both you know that was the deal so he's releasing both of them steven and mark he's not releasing jake so pretty sneaky sis so that's it uh that's the end so I, I did enjoy it obviously you know it's it's unfortunate it's over i feel like there's still so much more that can be explored and just the fact that we didn't really 
we got a Moon Knight show, but it wasn't really a Moon Knight show. You know, I want to see him actually taking on the bad guys and and not just Harrow and his whatever resurrecting a, a god. And so you know, like with you know Daredevil fighting people, you know, I want something like that. I want to see Moon Knight in Hell's Kitchen or somewhere just fighting bad guys and other villains. And so hopefully we'll get something more. So it it was really good and. Um, Oscar Isaac was just amazing and you know then we don't even know like what happened to Amit I mean not to Amit to Layla does she still have the powers no is that I don't know so maybe someday we'll get answers but for now we have no idea so that was it it's good now it's time to watch it because I also feel like every time I feel like you know we have seen Jake and I, I, I may have mentioned it last week that like in the first episode when Steven's fighting like the town folk when he has a scarab and then he like blacks out and then he wakes up, he's standing there and the, his hands are all bloody. So it feels like whenever there's blood that that's when Jake was around. Because Mark, even though Mark is um, was a mercenary, he's skilled and everything like that, it feels like he's pulling back. Like he's trying, you know, he's trying to be a better person, I guess and not be as hardcore. So I feel like whenever, and obviously there's a dude that got stabbed on a rooftop in Egypt, that that was Jake. So I, I feel like there's more, I almost feel like we should have like a, a, whether a half a season or at least an episode special to see like all the Jake scenes that we missed whenever he's, because it just, it's, it's, it was cool in the beginning, the way they do it. And, and, you know, it's an easy way to kind of, avoid like uber violence that a lot of people would expect moon knight to have but you know this way it's still somewhat you know pg-13 almost but i feel like we should get we should be able to see like the jake lockley segments to see him just how brutal he is well maybe we don't want to see that i'd want to see that so that's it that's moon knight for forever maybe all right, with uh, The Man Who Fell to Earth, Season 1, Episode 2, Unwashed and Somewhat Slightly Dazed. Actually, going back, so as I mentioned earlier, so I, I watched the movie, and it's it's kind of interesting seeing the differences because this show is basically taking place like 40 years after the movie, and you know the events from the movie take place. So it's, it's not crucial to see what happened. But basically, Thomas Newton came to Earth. You know, he's from the planet that uh, Faraday is, is from. You know, their, their planet has no water. And the whole point was for him to come to Earth, amass a bunch of money, build a rocket, send water back to their planet. You know, it seems kind of straightforward. David Bowie played Thomas Newton. And, you know, he was kind of in disguise because they don't look like regular humans. And... It almost seemed, I mean, while, you know, he, he had a timetable and, you know, he's trying to make his money, you know, he basically uses like alien technology to develop new things like new film processes or whatever, or, you know, whatever. And, you know, he builds up this, this corporation, this empire and, you know, making all this money. But in a lot of ways, it almost seems like he's just like, okay, whatever. Yeah. He's just like taking his time. Even, even meanwhile, his plan is dying. So you know, maybe they had some water, but it just it seemed like he should have done something. And yeah, so the, then there's a whole thing about the x-rays and you know that that harms him and just different things like that. So it is interesting seeing how this show obviously is being respectful to the source and you know using a lot of different things and 
also we see in the movie uh, David Bowie. We don't see him like he doesn't go through the whole changing learning process. It's like he's already got that down. He's already in his human guise. While with Faraday, he's like fighting the you know to figure figure out where he's at and what to say and how to act and everything like that. But we David Bowie goes to pawn shop. He sells like one ring, while Far- Faraday's sold like a bucket load practically. And, you know, so when David Bowie goes to like the pawn shop and, you know, he says it's his wedding ring and they're like, how do we know it's not stolen? And he's like, oh, it's got my name in there, my initial. And he's like, shows his passport. So he's got this whole elaborate story down. And I guess what he was doing is selling the rings one at a time, which would take a lot longer because I think he only gets like 60 bucks for the first ring. And he's like, I know I got ripped off, but it's interesting how, I mean, the book from where where I'm at so far, like I said, I'm listening to the audiobook. Oh, I don't know why I'm talking about the book when I'm talking about the movie. But the the book and the movie are are pretty similar. Uh, I mean, there, there's some slight differences, obviously, but the the movie seems to be doing a good job adapting the original book. But with the book, you know, so I think the book was published. Was it sixty three or sixty eight? Sixty three, I think it was. But I think the book has taken place in like the early eighties, <laughs> which um. Yeah, so you got that. Anyway, so with the episode, Justin, she's driving um, towards like the little tornado. So it's like what we saw at the end of the last episode. She sees Faraday walking towards it. She gets out of the car, yells. She gets back in. The wind picks up, starts spinning the truck. She's like on the floor, and you know Faraday reaches the center, looks up, closes his eyes. Then Newton's like, "Open your eyes." He's in the forest. Faraday has his alien eyes. Newton takes off his hat. You know he has like his black shades on. He's like, "It's about flipping time." So then he's like, I knew you'd make it obedience. Obedience is in your very marrow, not that you have any. And he like laughs. And so then he's like, you were always the most obedient, obedient drone, like a Dick, Dickinsonian, Dickens, Dickensian child on Christmas Day. An obedient drone following every directive to the letter. He's like, well, here's a letter N. And he laughs. So it's like, it's like Newton's, he's kind of a jerk. It seems like. He just doesn't seem like the David, but again, stuff happened to David Bowie in the movie. Whatever, I won't get into that. You can watch the movie. I don't want to spoil that. So Faraday asks if this is a contextual download, and Newton gets angry and throws his bottle. He's like, this isn't going to work if you keep acting like a spaceman. He's like, they're called dreams here. He's like, I held them at bay for a few years. When I wore down and they broke through, it became very difficult to know when I was dreaming and when I wasn't. But this is... He's like, but this is now, and we're on Earth, more or less. So he's like, they're looking for me. They're always looking. The men with the guns and the X-ray eyes. He's like, I had to bring you to a place where they couldn't listen or see. He takes off his sunglasses, and his eyes look a little weird. And that's because something happened to David Bowie's eyes, you know, his fake eyes or whatever. Faraday's like, you know, we waited for you to return with water. And he's like, <laughs> like, yeah long enough to watch the seas boil he's like but you never came (laughs) obviously and he's like i got distracted he's like that's why i sent for you my best and brightest pupil our last hope he's like lesson one don't smoke and he lights up a cigarette and he talks about he's like but if you are he's like get one of these and he has a zippo (laughs) because i guess that makes you look cool or something like that and he's like you abandoned us and he's like is that what they say about me and then Faraday's like, there's a consensus never to say your name. I defended you. And Newton's like, how many are left? And he's like, and try not to sound like a toddler. 
And so he says that they took a roster at every orbit and there is always one less. So he's like, how many are left? And new Faraday's like only a few thousand. And then, uh, Newton sobs and he falls to his knees. Then he's laughing and he's like, you want your money back? He snarls. He's like 40 years. He's like humans. You have, you know, you have to let the virus in again. He's like, no one tells you, but I'm telling you, if our mission is to be successful, you have to let them in just a teensy bit. You have to see with their eyes. And he waves his hands over Faraday's eyes and they turn regular because from his alien eyes, he's like, but you mustn't become attached to save Anthea. You'll have to work fast and follow my instructions precisely. It's taken all these years to prepare everything for you. I brought you here to finish what I started. And when we succeed this time, I'll finally get to leave this lonely, lonely place. He's like, you know, my eyes. He's like, sometimes I'm grateful. I pretend I'm already home. Then he says, wake up. And he backhands Faraday. And he's like, sleepyhead. He's like, I built a company. They stole it from me. He's like, you're going to steal it back. He's like, the key to our salvation is inside. He's like, but so he's going to need help. He's like, did you find a woman like I instructed? He's like, did you find Justin Falls? So Justin's still screaming on the floor of the truck. The wind dies down and she sits up. She turns on the wiper blades to clear off the dirt and she screams because Faraday's right there. His skin is like dry and peeling and he has his alien eyes. And then he smiles and he's like, origin, but it's O-R-I capital G-E-N. He keeps repeating it, so she slams the truck into reverse, gets the heck out of there. She drives away, and his face like slowly starts to heal. So Faraday is walking down down the road. He arrives at the diner. Um, he helps himself to, to like these two dudes' waters, <laughs> and then the waitress is like, "Oh, those steaks are on the house." And then the, like the cook's like, "What?" Uh, so she gives him new water. Um, Faraday drinks some more, and she's like, oh, "I remember you," because you know she knows or she thinks he's on the spectrum. So asks if he's hungry, and he says he needs to find Origin, and she thinks he's saying Origin, and he takes out money and asks if she can do a Google. So she puts his hand down, and she's like, "I can take a break in a few minutes." So Justin arrives home. She sees Faraday's scanner on the floor, and she thinks back to the side of him. She tucks in her daughter. Um, Mark is this dude that works at a hospital where it was watching Josiah. He, you know, he had to leave whatever um, earlier because he had to get back to the shift or something like that. So she checks on her dad and she goes out back and she lights up, I think, a joint and she's like staring at the moon. So Vicky, the waitress, she's they're out, out like outside the diner. She types in Origin on her phone. She finds Origin Global. It's a tech company in Seattle, and she's like, ta-da, ta-da. He like mimics her. He um, asks her to take him, and she says that she'll call him a cab to the airport. And he sniffs, and he, t- he talks about like what she's exuding, like whatever chemical hormones. And so he's like, the, he's like, you're pregnant, or something like that. Ta-da! And she's like, no, that's not possible. And then he asks if she's afraid, afraid for her child's future because of the lack of Earth's resources, that, and it will die before it fulfills its purpose. She like slaps him in shock, and she goes back inside. So at Langley, uh, this dude, Spencer Clay, played by Jimmy Simpson. Um, so he was in Westworld and a ton of other stuff. Uh, he's, I guess, works staff operations. He calls someone about a pallet of C-93 drives that was ordered by the DO. And the dude's like, they were phased out like eight months ago. And then whether he's like, what? I didn't hear about that. So I don't know. I don't think that's important. But he gets a text from Finch and it says like 911 cheesecake. So as he leaves, he scans his ID card and it shows that he's with the CIA. So he goes to a, a different diner, meets this older lady. Um, she mentions that 
she was his first friend in the government and he asked for the one the waitress come you know he asked her for seltzer water with lemon but then he got a lime so he asked if he can you know get a new one so he's just he's very polite but kind of condescending at the same time so he also he ordered a burger and stuff like that because uh, this lady told him that you know he should eat whatever. So it comes and it's not right. And he's again he's very polite but very meticulous. So then she comes back. He asks for a plate for the lime, and she said, "But you said lemon." He's like, "My God, Daisy." He's like, "Are you serious?" And he makes her repeat it: "Lime, the green one." And then he just asks. He's like, "You know what? Just just give me the plate back." You know, for with the food. He's like, "It's so late. It'll probably be like you know two o'clock before I get some food." It's like he's purposely being a jerk and just. It's like he seems like he's a was a nice guy, but I guess he's not. So, anyways, she says that she finally got a funny ping, something big enough to get flagged by cryptography. So she has this big secret file. There's a bunch of redacted um, stuff in there. So he comments. He's he's like, oh, it's like a 40 year old CIA file, and she says that. There was a tornado out in Los Alamos a few hours ago. They detected a signal broadcasting from inside the funnel. So it was bi-directional. And so that's that means it's crosstalk. And he's like, oh, it's a glitch. He's like, that's a Kirkland Air Base or something like that. So there's you know the same frequency popped up 45 years ago at the same location. And it was um, marked as a, or was tagged as a, an anomalous noise event. Cryptography thinks it might be a terrorist threat. So he asked who filed the original report, and she said that everyone listed in the file is dead, except for this guy in Denali, Alaska, this Dr. Gregory Papel, and he's a agency psychiatrist out of technical service. So she wants him to go and talk to him. So Faraday wakes up in a cab, um, like the air fresheners are too much for him. The driver is speaking Urdu, um, so he's from Pakistan or something like that. Then Faraday starts talking to him in the same language, and then... Um, he asks if he has any belongings or ID, and he's like ID, and, and he like kind of points to like the thing like on the the window or the cab. At the airport, Faraday starts feeling weak, and he like stumbles to the ticket counter. Um, he's like Seattle, Washington ID, and he has like the the driver's ID card from the back of the cab, and it looks absolutely nothing like him. He asks, then he asks if there's any radiation there because uh, the screen behind uh, starts like fritzing out. I don't know if that's actually happening or if he's seeing it like that. And, you know, so he's getting sick because there's like x-ray machines nearby, which which is kind of weird how it's like right by the ticket counter right there. So it's um, too much for him. He starts to leave and the ticket lady calls code yellow on the phone. So security comes at him, pulls a gun at him. So, so harsh, like immediate. He falls to his knees and he starts puking up water, like a lot of water. It's like huge, massive puddle. But it's it's, one thing is weird. Like at this point in the show, it kind of like fades to black. It's like a commercial break. But just like this is on Showtime, so it's like there aren't any commercials. I mean, unless they're planning for it, like in case someday it gets syndicated and then they can put a commercial there. So it's just, it's kind of weird it keeps doing that. Um, Justin and her daughter take her dad to this elderly care place during the day. So she's asked if she'll be taking care of the rest of her balance for his care. Then a nurse lady, and just like right in front of Justin's daughter and she's like you know there's a lot of overtime charges he's like you know we're all big fans of josiah but you know she's been late picking him up um and if if she's late today then he's no longer welcome there so justin takes her daughter to school uh she cleans out the dirt out of the back of the truck and washes it her co-worker chemical scrubber friend or whatever portia 
asked like what happened to truck uh justin doesn't want to talk about it and you know she's then she's like i'm just i'm stressed and she's like you know they're gonna take the house next month and she's like i can't keep dad in rehab you know one of his prescriptions is 40 dollars a day every day so then she says that you know she saw something last night and it freaked her out and her friend's like well what'd you see and it's so weird it's like i don't know how close they are how long they know each other but it's like i'm immediately suspicious like who is this character why is she asking so many questions so she's, you know, Justin says she doesn't want to get specific, but, you know, her, her friend just keeps asking. Then she says, you know, just find, go out, find out if it was real. Uh, you know, so I'm sure there's there's absolutely no reason for her to be, for me to be suspicious. It would make zero sense. But she says, go find out, you know, if, if she just pretends it was or it wasn't, then she'll go crazy. And, and Justin's like, well, I can't be crazy because I have no flipping time. And she gets a call on her cell. So the airport called her. Uh, he was trying to get to Seattle. He named her as his emergency contact. As soon as, as uh, she walks in the room, he's like, x-rays are preventing me from using the airport. He's like, I have to go to Seattle. So security tells her that he stole the cabbie's ID. So she she calls Faraday. She's like, you're an a-hole. They think that he's on something, but they something that they don't even know about. And he's drinking water like a camel. And he's like, I have four stomachs. And she asks if they're charging him. Faraday says that he has to get to Seattle. He keeps saying that. And they say that it was like a crazy day there and no one wants to do the paperwork. So if she doesn't sign for him, then he'll go to psych ward. But then he'd bid her a couple days before he can even get a full exam. So outside, he says her epinephrine levels are facilitating so much that it's irritating his sinus cavities and making his scalp itch. And, you know, she needs stabilizing. And she's like, you're right. And she like walks away from it. He asks, he's like, did you come here just to leave me? And she turns out, she's like, was there a tornado? Was that real? And she, you know, she wonders, she was just hallucinating. He's like, it was real. And she's like, your message was inside it? It was. From who? My adept. And she's like, Thomas Newton? She's like, how is that possible? You cannot understand it yet. If we continue, you will. And she's like, no. She's like, you can be as crazy as you want. She's like, how did you survive that? He's like, who are you? I am an immigrant. And she's like, no, my father's an immigrant. You're from Anthea. And she's like, I I saw your face, your real face. She's like, I saw it. She's like, I'm talking to someone from another planet. So am I. I like I knew he was gonna say that. So she walks away to like sit down and he says that you know he received his instructions, he understands his next step, his planet is dying, his species is dying, his mission is to save them. And she's like, In Seattle, he says, There's a company called Origin. They have the design for a machine, one that will save Anthea. And she asks if he knows how impossible it is for her to believe that. That is the wrong equation. The correct one is, do you believe what you saw? So he says that um, she is a specialist in nuclear fusion plasma modeling. And she says, or, so he says that um, she's like, you want me to build it? And he says that they'll build it together. And she's like, no, she's like, that's crazy. He holds up money. He's like, this is all I have left. She says that, you know, she's going to pick up her dad and her daughter, then she'll take him to the bus station. So he's like, that's the best I can do. Sorry. In Alaska, Agent Clay arrives to the coordinates because um, they didn't have an exact location where this Dr. Papel was. It was just like, you know, ballpark area in the woods. So he starts, he gets out of the car, starts walking in the forest and uh, there's like this really pretty butterfly in this tree and then he just smashes it with his water bottle. It's like, oh my God, really? Justin pays the balance before picking up Josiah. She tells Faraday to sit as, as she goes to get him when she comes back he's gone so he's sitting in this circle of chairs with these other elderly folks and i guess it's like an improv session 
so um then you know you're supposed to say something whatever but he starts going on about like not knowing why they're still alive he's like they're using resources when an efficient death would could take care of them and justin comes into this and she's like apologizes she takes him out and like josiah hears this and he, he thinks it's hilarious so all four are in the truck now um faraday justin her dad and her daughter faraday calls her daughter a pupa and she calls him a larva or something like that then there's like fighting over the radio because josiah wants to listen to the show but faraday wants music which is interesting because at one point in the book uh newton says that the music bothered him but he just like kind of let it go whatever so then she changes it and then papa was a rolling stone comes on they all start singing and laughing and blah 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 uh clay finds a house but he trips his sensor as he approaches he calls out to dr gregory papel he asks if he can spare a moment for him and he turns around gets smashed in the face with the butt of a rifle and he's out wakes up he's like duct taped to a chair just duct tape over his mouth papel gets he's like this old dude um long hair he's whatever he, he gets in his face asks him if he's wearing contacts and he starts cutting him to like watch him bleed and then um he so he rips the tape off his mouth he said he had to make sure because so, everyone else is dead so i guess obviously he assumed that he was an alien like david bowie like thomas newton but why would he be like so well, i don't know it's like david Bo thomas newton didn't kill everyone unless maybe he did and we just don't know that i guess this could be possible so they arrive at the justin and faraday now they arrive at the house uh faraday sees all the things that um so here's the thing that kind of bothers me they, they go to a fast food place they're they're waiting in line to get, get get food they arrive at the house it takes them forever to eat it's like that food would be so cold so Faraday sees all the things Josiah built, like from scrap, like all these metal, like whatever things and gears and like kind of wind things, you know. Faraday says that he was a particle physicist. Uh, her doctoral dissertation evolved his work. She is quantifiably more intelligent. So Molly, the, the daughter, she like laughs. And Josiah is like, how much more? And he's like, is there a percentage? And he's like, 26. So Josiah is like, she's brilliant. He's like, a flawed path doesn't make that any less true. Papel is washing his hands and his arm. So he says, you know, and he's like just repeating. He's like, wash away my iniquity and cleanse me of my sin. So Spencer uh, tries talking to him. He tells him that he came there because there was a, a signal in a tornado about 48 um, hours ago. His name was attached to a file. Papel stops scrubbing. Clay says that the, the signal was bidirectional. He's like, does that mean anything? Papel comes up to, with a, a blade you know knife blade gripped in his hand he starts it's like slicing his palm he's like two people clay says he's just trying to figure out why it pinged his name from 45 years ago papel says that that's when they first heard it he was trying to send a, a message he's like i guess someone finally answered and clay's like what message then papel turns turns around and he yells he's like you are so flipped <laughs> he's like they sent you they sent you like one of those airedale dogs in world war one running between the trenches and he goes on about how he's gonna die clay says he doesn't know what he's talking about papel says that he was sweet he was so sweet it's like newton his face an angel you know he's like i'm it's still looking at me when i close my eyes you know so it is i don't know if this papel character was in the movie i guess that's something i should look up Okay, so I just looked on IMDb and he, it doesn't. It seemed like he would have been after or something like that. So he said uh, his face was an angel. 
it's still looking at him when he closes his eyes. You know, nothing gets rid of it, not even prayer. And Clay's like, he's like, who are you talking about? And he's like, who's Newton? And he says, we took his eyes out. We made him a psychopath. We did that. I did that. So they they uh, say, I wonder if he was involved there because they they shot like an X-ray at him and it messed his eyes or whatever. So Papel says he's like, he's like, no, he's like, I did his job. He's like, who is he talking about? It's like, what insurance? He's like, you know, what film? You know, he's saying all this stuff. And Papel says that he won't let him do it again. He puts a knife up to his throat. And he's like, wait. And he whispers um, that he just goes where they send him. Then he headbutts him and he starts like, you know, pounding on the old chair to break it. He gets a knife, struggle. Papel grabs the rifle and screams. He's like, I took his eyes. He's insane. Do you know what that means? And Clay says, yeah. He's like, no, no, you don't. And now there's another one. He's like, oh God, I'm so flipping tired. You have no idea what's coming to you. Then he puts a barrel under his chin and he fires. So, because, yeah, I mean, David Bowie was never like violent or, or vicious or I don't know. I mean, maybe he was. I mean, maybe I'll, what happened to him, get, him getting screwed, his company taken away, maybe that, maybe they did make him a psychopath, but it doesn't seem like it. Now the others are having dinner with ice cold fast food. Josiah says Grace. Faraday asks who he was talking to, and Molly says the Lord, but something like that. But she heard him say it about Tina Turner before, or something like that, so everyone laughs. Josiah starts going on about how smart Justin is and you know one little thing goes wrong he's like you know a white girl would have would have cried and they'd give her a hanky and a cookie Justin had to defend herself so Molly is like scared and upset and then like runs off which is like okay what's what's going on you know so Josiah is getting worked up but Justin says that it's time that for Faraday to go he talks about his mission Justin and Molly have potential Josiah has none and she's like, don't talk to him like, like you know, about him like that. And he says he has outlived any usefulness he could have had. You know, a final useful act would be to let him die now and free Justin to realize her potential. And she says that she takes care of him. End the flipping story. So she's like, wait outside. Josiah calls her and says he's telling us, you know, God's truth. So he's like, yeah, that, that's true. So Molly keeps going on about her stomach hurting. I don't know what, what's up with that. So Justin takes Molly to Porsche's. I guess she lives like next door, like in a, a, a RV or whatever, or like not an RV, a trailer. So she asks if she can watch her for like 20 minutes. So Josiah is uh, sleeping, watching baseball. Um, Faraday goes into the house while, you know, she's, while uh, Justin's taking Molly next door. He goes in the house. He walks up to him. He like touches his hand. He gets like a shock of memories, and Justin um gets back, and she sees Faraday's not in the truck. So inside, Faraday puts his hand around Josiah's throat, and there's like you know static on a TV now. His eyes open, the light bulbs like flicker. Josiah groans, and then he starts lighting up his his fingers because his fingers are like, kind of like um I don't know if it's arthritis or whatever, but then his his fingers start going straight because uh, he he couldn't uncurl them before. And then Justin runs inside, goes into the room, and she gasps. So Josiah is like sitting up, stares at his hands, and he's standing on his own because he couldn't before. And she's shocked. And Faraday's just like groaning on the floor. His hands are curled out. He spits up, can we go to Seattle now? And then Justin and Josiah just look at each other in confusion. So somehow he managed to save him. Like He took his illness or whatever. And I don't know if he's going to be able to expunge it. I, I have no idea how this would even work, but he's an alien, so I guess he can, who knows what he can do. But that's how the episode ends. 
Okay, then Made for Love. So, I think I mentioned this before. Two more episodes dropped. And I, I don't understand why they're doing that. But whatever. So, we got 203, 204. So, episode 203, Diane, we're in trouble. So, we see a virtual Byron. So, Byron and Hazel, their memories or whatever have been downloaded from the chips. They're in this computer world hard drive now. So virtual Brian shows Hazel like a couch, a chair, and a dining room in their white existence area that he made for her. They're both wearing white clothes now, and she's like, "Oh, I love it." And he's like, "Well, I love you." And he, you know, he's like, he's very happy there. She is too. She just wishes that she could touch him, like, and then um, her hand goes like right through him. He's like, "Well, there are other ways to connect." And he puts on a record, and his shirt turns yellow, and he's wearing like khakis, and he starts like dancing. And she suddenly has like this flower dress, and they're like dancing together. And it's like okay. Herbert is like fixing Diane's hair, and then he gets scared because Hazel walks in and says good morning. He's like, "Oh, you you can't just sneak up on someone." She's like, "I just said good morning." Whatever. Then he's like, "How's the cat?" And she's like, "What what cat?" He's like, "The cat that you and Bengals went to to get with the ladder." And she's like, "Oh yeah." She's like, "We got there and we we're looking up the cat, and then something grazes my leg. It was Bengals' cat. It's like identical." She's like, "Now Bengals has two cats." She's like, "Unless you want one." And he's like, no, Diane's allergic. And she's like, right. So she hands him his med and he's like, oh, you know, what if I don't take him one day? And she, he's like, what's the big deal? Then she plays it off that, you know, well, since you know, he won't admit why he needs him, but, but then he takes it and um, he spits it out when Hazel leaves and head to, to head into town. And he's like, Diane, we're in trouble. So he's probably wondering like what is going on because he knows that she's lying. And, you know, when he saw the door, he's, you know, he knows something's going on. We see Fiffening Herringbone. They're sitting out in the, like the pasture in the field. It starts raining. She's thinking back to her real life. So it's not like that. It's like, I think she was married and there's something and there's what music was playing or just something going on. But then she's like, you know, we can't let Byron get away with this. So that dude that was at the pool, Bruce, he's looking at Zelda, the dolphin. Um, she's trying to do a vocal test, trying to get her to respond. So and then Jasper comes in, and asks if if Bruce, if if she's all right, whatever. He's like, oh, you know, just don't expect any any data. He's like, ever since Fifty left, Zelda hasn't been cooperative. He's like, no one can get her to talk. And Fifty took all of her research. So Bruce is gonna go get some lunch, and then Jasper just he puts on the headpiece and he's just sitting there. And he asks Zelda, he's like, oh, how's the temperature in there? And she responds, actually, it's too cold. And he's like, what? And she's like, are you going to fix the temperature? So then they start having, you know, then he turns it up and she's like, oh, it's too hot, it's too hot. And he's, she was just joking. So they're having a conversation and Bruce comes in and he's like shocked and he drops a tray of food and he runs out. So then we see Hazel's eating some chips. She comes up to Byron. He's working on a speech for Congress and she asks how it's going. And, um, you know, he, so he explains how it is. And, but he says it's, it's a, he's going to do it virtual. Um, then she, she asks to hear it. So he says that, you know, they want to continue to research and what they think would be the path to cracking um, immortality. Basically, they think that they have the ability to upload individual consciousness. And um, she's like, but they'll still be in a computer, right? He's like, you couldn't hug them or smell them. Then his phone rings. So it's some like general calling him. So she leaves and um, then you hear he leaves to take the call. She hops onto his like device and she looks up Jasper, reads his like his background. And she looks up the Oz Winter. There's there's no, no information. She tries clearing it before he comes back, whatever. But then um, Bruce is outside, said that Zelda's talking. So they all go. 
Herbert is putting Diane on a dolly. So he's, I guess he's getting ready to leave or something like that. But then he sees Bennett and others coming with a gurney. So he curses. He knows that they're coming for him. He kisses Diane. He's like, I'll be back for you. So he sits and he acts like he's sleeping. Then Bennett, so he, I, he's clearly got a, like a crush on Diane, even though she's just a doll. Because he's like kind of eyeing her. They take him out. They put him in the medical room. And then Herbert gets up when everyone leaves. And then Bennett comes in and screams. And Herbert's like, who are you? He's like, "He's like, am I in the hub? He's like, well, how's it next to my place? And he's like, who are you? And then Bennett says, he's like, this is just a dream. And Herbert grabs a scalpel. He's like, oh, so then if I jab this as hard as I can into my neck, I'll just wake up, right? And Bennett's like, okay. He's like, you're in the hub. He's like, we're curing your cancer. He's like, please put that down. So he's like, I don't want to be cured. And he, he, you know, he's holding out the scalpel. He's like, how'd I get here? And Bennett's like cowering against the wall. And he's like, Hazel. So Herringbone and Tiffany are lying in a field now. And you hear like a loud loudspeaker, attention pasture dwellers. If you want to leave, please head towards the exit. And Herringbone yells, there is no exit. Then they see her a ration box. Tiffany looks through it and she's upset because there's no food. It's just old Gogol convention swag. So they change into him because, you know, they need to change her clothes. They're getting ripe or whatever. And she's laughing at Herring, at Lyle Herringbone because his shirt's like a little snug, whatever. He's wearing shorts. And then he's like, oh, they're just getting started with us. He's like, the real torture is about to begin. And she says, she's like, we're trapped in a virtual prison and they're starving us. And he's like, that's just to break us down. He's like, you know, here comes the mind games. And there's like a piano sitting in a prairie. And she's, she's like confused. Bennett takes Herbert outside. He, out, quote unquote, outside. He's at like this cliffside and Herbert's like, is Pebble Beach part of the hub? And Bennett hands him an iron. He's like, anything can be part of the hub. And then Herbert's like, oh, well, Alan Shepard golfed on the moon. And Bennett like changes the scenery through his watch and now they're on the moon. And he says that you know all the things he never got to do in life, he can do them here. And Herbert's like, well, you know, maybe I, I stick around just until my treatment's over. So now Herbert's at the beach. Diane's sitting in like in a beach chair and Bennett is setting up an umbrella for her. And he's like staring at her again. And Herbert's just like really in, enjoying this. Jasper asks Zelda, why is she talking to him? And she says that he doesn't treat her like a test subject. Then Byron comes in and Jasper stands up to shake his head, hand. And Byron is clearly intimidated by his height. And he's like, oh, why don't you just sit down? He's like, that's better. Hazel is curious about Zelda being able to talk. And Jasper says you just put in an earpiece so byron says that she hasn't spoken since dr hodek left and hazel's like oh i didn't know Fifney left and it's it's interesting because in the book Fifney's like seems like a totally different character but whatever byron's just like "Mm -hmm," because he knows where she's at that she's in a pasture hazel asks she's like well where did she go and he's like she quit it was just all you know all of a sudden you never really got a straight answer then Hazel you know, has the earpiece on. She says hi to Zelda, but Zelda just clicks at her. And Bruce is like, that's her usual response. So Byron wants to hear, wants to keep Jasper on Zelda communication full time since he seems to have the magic touch. And there was someone in the book that had a thing for dolphins. But then Bennett um, runs in with urgent news. He's like, there's, you know, there's a disturbing video footage or something like that. So, you know, maybe they should go somewhere f- private. And Hazel's like, well, I want to see. So the video is of that private investigator lady that Herbert knew from before, Judith. And, you know, she's dressed as a nun and she ambushed this like live news report. And she's saying that Byron Gogol has kidnapped Hazel and her father and she's trapped them in his secret hub. Byron's like, oh, this must be Judith. And Hazel's like, I guess she's like the first time I've seen her because Judith always 
Judith with the F. She always made, you know, Hazel keep her eyes closed. But Hazel's, um, or he says that, you know, he's not really concerned because clearly she's drained and the video title is named Unhinged Nunge. He's like, so, and Ben is like, well, this is really bad timing for the congressional hearing. And Hazel's like, he's right. He's like, you know, and they're surprised that, you know, she agrees with that. She's like, you know, it's more suspicious if you don't say anything. Then he's like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll prepare a response for the hearing. And she's like, I, you know, you should go in, in person and I should come with you. She's like, I mean, your wife can't be kidnapped if she's standing next to you in D.C. And he's like, what are you doing? Whatever. He's And he's like, Mr. and Mrs. Gogol go to Washington. He says that, you know, he loves when they see eye to eye. Herringbone tells Tiffany that, you know, he helped design the place. that It's literally built to psychologically torture people. And Gogol knows all your trauma triggers. So he says, or she's like, and yours is a piano. He says that, you know, he was married and his wife loved the piano. One day she left him a Dear John letter on the bench. And next to this book called the Nama Sake, she's like, I never heard of it. He said he's read the book. Uh, or the note said if he reads the book, he'll figure out why she left. So he read it about 100 times. He still doesn't have the answer. But it brought him here to the hub where he'll die. And she's like, no. She's like, we're not going to die. And he's like, well, what's your trigger? And then it starts to rain. And she says that, you know, she hasn't seen one. So I think there's something with the rain in her memory. I forgot exactly what it was. Herbert's still at the beach with Diane. Byron shows up. And he's like, oh, it didn't take long for that little minion to squeal. And Byron's like, oh, he didn't, but he was careless. He's like, I saw sand on the shoes and figured it out. So Herbert asks if Hay Hazel knows that he knows. And Byron's like, no. And he thinks that it benefits both of them if they keep it that way. And Herbert's like, that doesn't mean that she's yours again. You know, he's like, you can't control her. Byron's like, I don't want to control her. He's like, I love her. And, you know, all I'm asking is for a second chance, like the one you're getting. Herbert says that he, if he senses any funny business or, or danger, that he'll tell in a heartbeat. So they, they shake hands in it. Bennett comes in with my ties, but then he drops him when he sees Byron. And he, he tells him to escort them home because Hazel will be checking on them soon. So then you see um, Ben is like vacuuming the sand off of Diane. He accidentally sucks her hair, like her like wig, whatever comes off. So you know he's like, turn it off, whatever. You know uh, Herbert says that. Then Hazel's coming home, so he's trying to fix the wig, and he tells Bennett to get out of there. When he just like jumps behind the couch to like to hide. So he asked her how work was, and she said it was fine. You know she wasn't as busy as they obviously been because Diane's hair is all messy. So she figures they were doing hanky panky. Mm -hmm. She says that he'll like this that he's going to have some alone time with diane because she's going camping with Bengals, and she's like there won't be great reception for, so you know don't worry if you don't hear from me and she asks if she can borrow his army duffel and he's like well where are you camping at and she's like uh Bengals knows a place and he's like oh you know famous last words or you know something like that and he's like you know maybe you should just stay home and take it easy you know you saw that thing in your brain and she's like oh it got deactivated and she's like you know did it did i tell you i didn't tell you and he's like, since when? And, you know, because she didn't mention it. And she says that he did it when they signed the divorce papers, uh, which obviously he didn't. He he said, I don't think he did. Did he? He says that, you know, she's only going to be gone a couple nights. Then he's like, well, why don't, you know, we do something together. He's like, you can camp here, you know, pitch a tent in the backyard. And she's like, uh, no, we can do that another night. We have all the time in the world. And he says that, you know, they haven't always gotten along, but, you know, they feel like they've turned a corner. So he wants to talk to her. And she's like, about what? And he's like, I don't know. He's like, that's the problem. He's like, you never talked to me about anything. 
And she says that she talks to him tons. And he's like, no, you don't. And she's like, well, I used to talk to you right there on that couch for hours after mom died, you know, when you'd be passed out drunk. And he's like, okay, that was a long time ago. She continues. And, you know, she said that she would wake up in the morning and hope that even though he had been unconscious that he'd hurt her, but he never did. Then he asks, he's like, are you gonna keep rubbing that in my face? You know, she acts like she's the biggest victim in the world, but, you know, sorry to say she's not. And she's like, yeah, we should do this more often. You're so pleasant to talk to. And he's like, well, I'm trying. I'm trying it. And he's like, yeah, just go. And he's like, yeah, that's mature. Because she, you know, she starts walking out. Then she like flips, turns around, flips him off. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's really mature. And then uh, Bennett sighs from like behind the couch because, you know, he heard this whole exchange. So Hazel's walking through Gogol Halls. She meets with Jasper at her secret spot, like the rooftop fake place that Byron gave her. And she asks what she should do in Washington. And he, he says, look up Hamilton Paints, ask for the color Gray Fox, and then they'll find her. So he says that, you know, she's doing a good thing. She could be saving a lot of lives. And she says that you know, she needs to make sure her dad finishes the treatment and that they get Zelda out of there because they, they both have to be okay at the end of this. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I promise. Then he asks, well, what about her? You know, what makes her okay at the end of this? And she thinks, and she's like, I don't know. Then she asks if he remembers their date on the outside when they were drinking and flirting. And she's like, well, I was flirting. And he's, you know, he was just doing his job. And he's like, no, no, it's like, I was flirting too. And then she's like, that was one of the only times in the past decade that she had a moment of feeling okay. So she kind of moves towards him and they start kissing and then they start getting undressed and then dun, dun, dun. So after that, she goes to Byron's bed and, you know, you hear a voiceover. She asks Jasper, she's like, okay, what's next? And he says, you know, the best way to distract someone is to make them believe that they're about to get what they want. So in, in the room, she whispers that she thought that she should sleep there since they're leaving early, if that's okay with him. He's like, yeah, of course. And she just like rolls to her side. Episode 104, another Byron, another Hazel. Hazel has to pick out her wardrobe. There's like tons of outfits, like all these shoes. There's a stylist there. Someone's doing her hair. She's drinking a smoothie. Someone else is doing her nails. And then um, she has to put on like the Gogo wedding ring again. So Byron's sitting with Bennett. Um, he, he's like, you he can tell he's kind of nervous, whatever. Hazel comes out dressed up and then he's just like, he's just, just in shock. Like he's in awe or whatever. He's like, you, you still managed to take my breath away. They go out to the airstrip. And then she asks Byron if he'll keep an eye on her dad while she's away. So Herbert is driving like a red sports car with Diane in the passenger seat. Obviously, he's not really driving, but like her arms out the window. Then you see him like at a casino with her standing next to him. She's like in a fancy dress holding a martini. Then they're in a gondola in Venice and Herbert's like, you know, doing the stick paddle steering thing, whatever. And then it's like, you know, cut back to Hazel getting on the plane. (laughs) So Jasper goes to Zelda and she's like, oh, you again. So they talk. He says that he heard that she helped Hazel escape. And she asks, she's like, oh, are you thinking of leaving already? And he's like, no, I'm, I'm here for life. Then he says that she must miss Fiffany. And, you know, why does she think that she suddenly left? And Zelda's like, oh, that's Byron's version. And he's like, well, what's your version? And she says that, you know, he's asking a lot of questions for a man who hasn't even offered her a drink. Then we see Herringbone and Tiffany, they're standing out in the rain, and he says that part of the reason he came to the hub was because there'd be no rain. So now Byron is using it to mess with them. So, you know, he doesn't realize that that's supposed to be part of Tiffany's torture. And then she says that, you know, she's like, some people like the rain. So, you know, cut to her giving birth. And a nurse asks if she'd like to add the father's name to the birth certificate. And she's like, there is no father. 
So I feel like I missed something. Maybe I did. I don't know. Back at the hub, you know, he asked her what's wrong. And, you know, she was, she says she was looking for an exit and clues or whatever, but lately she's been sad. And she says that, you know, she still doesn't know who sold her out to Byron, you know, which double crossing snake is the reason that she's in the pasture cube. But it was, I'm pretty sure it was, it was herringbone if I remember. And she asks if, you know, he thinks she, if he thinks it was Bennett and he's like, Bennett, he's like, yeah, that boot looking howdy doody doll weenie. He's like, of course. And then they, they see some people there like standing out, like in a pasture with them. So we see Hazel on the plane. The lady comes up and sits next to her. She says her name is Dawn Fairbanks. She's Gogol's media manager. She says that Byron has requested that she be seated next to him at the hearing. So she's there to prep her so she can make sure that they're presenting Gogol in the best light possible. And she's like doing like the fake laughing and stuff like that. Hazel's like, they said I wouldn't be speaking. And Dawn's like, yeah, you're not speaking. She's like, don't speak, okay? So she's saying that her facial expressions, body language, eye contact will all be speaking volumes. And she like chuckles. She's like, this is the first time the public is seeing Mrs. Byron Gogol in the flesh. So even when they're watching him and his handsome mouth, she kind of like rolls her eyes and they're listening to the words that he's saying, their eyes are always going to drift over to her. And Hazel asks, you know, okay, what does she want her to non-verbally do? And she's like, good question. So what they're going to going for is to present them as a united front. So when they're walking, hold his hands. Hazel's like, I'm not holding his hand. And she's like, come again with that? Hazel just kind of looks away. So Don moves and sits like across from her, like in front of her. And she says that this is basically what they call in the business as a non-negotiable. All right. She's like, it's critical, especially with these first time appearances that they hold hands and, you know, make sure he takes the lead. So Hazel just smiles and nods in the car. She thinks about Jasper and like the first time they met, you know, laughing with him on the fake rooftop. Then the Byron, she's like, this is this isn't how she pictured it. And he's like, well, you've never been to D.C. She's like, I've never been anywhere. So there's a lot of evil protesters waiting at the hotel when they get out. Um in in the lobby they get swarmed by all these this lady has a schedule going over a bunch of stuff you know trying to set up interviews and everything um like some hotel person asks if they need reservations for or want they're gonna have dinner in the room someone like comes up tries taking a picture in the hallway you know whatever and they just like kind of pull them aside so they're the two of them are going to the room she asks is it always like that all those people and he's like yeah you know now she understands why he never leaves the hub but she's like oh it's, it's kind of exciting so he says that he got her her own room unless she, and she's like, I'll take my own room. So it's like across the hall from his. In the virtual world, the furniture is in color now. Hazel's like sitting on a couch. Byron asks if she's still watching people in the hub. And, you know, he, there's a picture of two of them and he puts on the counter or whatever. And she's like, no, she's like, now I'm watching them. So she's going through their memories. She's like, they were so awful to each other. So Byron's like, well, that's them, not us. And she says, it doesn't seem fair that they get to be in a real world. And he's like, well, you know, we're the lucky ones. You know, it's better to stay here where everything's pure. And she says that they shouldn't be the ones that get to live in real bodies. And then that they, you know, they get to touch each other, that they're better versions of them. They, um, cause they actually love each other. And he's like, yes. And there, you know, everything will stay perfect if they go out there anything could happen to them and she's like wait what are you saying she's like we could go out there he kind of looks around and he's like um possibly so if they had bodies to enter and she says that she wants this you know she wants to be alive so byron is brushing his teeth and he's like keeping an eye on herbert and diane he's like there's like a camera i guess in there he turns around he sees diane like standing there and he like screams but you know she's not really there 
so Jasper's walking the hall. He almost like bumps into someone, and it's like that. It was the Oz dude. Uh, what's his name? The scientist. So he follows him, and there's like this Google speakeasy on the beach because someone's like, like, what? How'd you get here? Who who told you? Hazel calls the front desk, asks for Hamilton paints, so they connect her. She pauses, and she then she says she's looking for a certain color of paint, gray fox. There's like silence on the phone, and the dude's like, thank you, and then hangs up. So then, like, right after, there's a knock on the door. And she's, like, kind of confused. So she walk, goes over to the door, tries looking look into peephole, but he, she just sees someone's back, like, in a suit. It turns out it's Byron. He asks if she can listen to his speech. So he, you know, reads the speech, and she smiles, and she's like, oh, it's great. And he thanks her, and he says goodnight. But then he comes back and says that, you know, he knows she's wearing the clothes, but he knows who she really is. He wants the truth. And so he's asking the real her to just give an honest opinion. And she's like, it was boring. And he like curses under breath because that's what he was worried about. He's like, good. He's like, can you explain why? And she says that, you know, he's talking about a postman future, which is a very intense thing for regular people. I think postman future. He says that the, the human body is outdated and inefficient. And he's like, he says that he, yeah, he does think that, but not her body, obviously. And she, she says that, if he, if or she asks if she, he saw the poster that you know the, a protester had about him being a cold-blooded Illuminati reptile in a skin suit, and he's like, oh, I, I didn't see that. I, I don't know if maybe he did. He's just, but he claims he didn't see it. So she says that you know he just stands there rattling off data and statistics. He just doesn't connect. You know he doesn't connect emotionally to any of it. So it has to be he has to make people feel something. If he, you know, if he wants to make them do something, they need to feel it. So he looks down. And he's like, "Yeah." He's like, "You're good at that." And he's like, "I don't know how to do that." He's like, "I need. Can you help me?" He's like, "Can you, uh, you know, help me fix it?" And she looks at him and she's like, "Okay." Jasper um, goes up to some dude. He's like, "Oh, I know you. You're Oz Wimmer." And he's, he's like, "I was a research assistant at Caltech." And then Oz is like, "Really?" He's like, "I have photographic memory, and I don't remember you." And Jester's like, oh, I was just starting when you... And he's like, died? He's like, yeah, because they faked his death. Bruce comes with drinks, and Jasper wants to ask him something. He's like, you know, just between us. And I was like, that's the code of the, you know, speakeasy. So Jasper says that, you know, every job he's had, someone's gotten fired or quit, but they're, you know, they're, they're dead. He's like, they can't just go back out there in the real world. He's like, what happens if someone messes up or changes their mind? Oz and Bruce look at each other and then just take a drink from their cups. Bruce is like, officially, that's never happened. Oz says, unofficially, there's a rumor that once about a guy who wanted out. And, you know, He stopped cutting his hair. He stopped showing up for work, stopped bathing. Bruce says, allegedly, they relocated him to Europe with a new identity. And Oz is like, or not. Jasper asks, he's like, well, what about relationships? He's like, are there any couples in here? Any, any special ladies? And I was like, that's a bad idea. Because if it goes south, you have to see your ex every day for the rest of your life. And Bruce says that, you know, that's what their virtual assistants are for, that they provide companionship. And Oz is like, yours hasn't gotten you off yet? And he's like, just ask. They're very thorough. And Bruce is like, it's true. And Oz is like, double true. It's like, you bunch of weirdos. Jasper is like walking. He goes to Zelda's area. He asks if she's asleep. And she's like, she doesn't sleep much. He asks if she's up for a late night chat. Um, he says that he hasn't met anyone in the hub that's like a real person besides her. And she asks why he came to work at the hub. And, you know, because she, she says, he's like, well, why, why were you here? And she says she was born there. 
then he says that you know he doesn't do relationships he had to train himself not to feel anything and he kind of got uh too good at it in washington they entered uh hazel and byron entered a courtroom so it's the panel of people listening they're not too keen on his proposal he says that the tech that he's using has already been approved but this one lady says yeah but this is in a different way so she's more concerned about a video that's all over the internet and that says he already chipped his wife and he starts out about not being able to touch on every single rumor and she's like well i wasn't asking you this question was for your wife so she's like mrs gogol is there any truth to what the nun said it's like did your husband violate you put your chip in your head and kidnap you hazel immediately leans forward and she's like no she's like um i don't have a chip in my head she's like sorry to disappoint the tabloids i know that'd make a great story um, someone else asks, in 2017, you and Mr. Gogol appeared in a promotional video for the Made for Love chip. So you clearly endorse it. And she's like, no, I don't. And then they ask her why is she here supporting his research. And Byron starts saying, Revolutions, revolutionary science must start. She grabs his hand on the table, like cut him off. She's like, I know at first these, these things sound like they're out of a horror movie. When Byron first said the word transhumanism to me, she's like, I was very freaked out too. But I want to tell you about a 12-year-old girl who lost her mother to cancer and never got to say goodbye. This little girl had to enter her most formative years in her life without her mother's guidance or love. And if you were to ask her today, a grown woman, if she could have anything in the world, what would that be? She would say to have one more conversation. And she like kind of stifles a sob with her mom. And she's like, and I can't help but personally be personally invested invested in this research because that 12-year-old girl was me. So I do support this technology because it could lead to a future where we don't have to lose the ones that we love. And then Don and the others start applauding and Byron just like looks at her because he's like impressed. So some lady asks Hazel and Byron if they've seen what they're saying online. People are obsessed with Mrs. Gogol. And then she's like, move over Byron. And he just like laughs. So has uh, you know, someone else asked, has she ever thought of running for office? She's like, no, but maybe now I am. And she like laughs. Then the general comes up to meet um, him. And she's like, oh, you finally let Rapunzel out of the tower. And so the general says that she can see why Byron calls her, her his secret weapon. The general asks if she can borrow her husband for a boring work chat. So in a private room, she asks about the conscious transfer that he spoke of today. You know, is it possible? He's like, yes, I copied human consciousness to a chip and uploaded it. So then the general asks, well, what happens if she uploads her mind into a chip and then puts it into another person's brain? And, you know, does her consciousness cock block the other person's subconscious? And Byron's like, uh, so to speak, yeah. He's like, you want to use death row inmates as a test population? And she's like, why execute perfectly healthy, fit, tight, beautiful bodies when we can replace their consciousness with a more cooperative one? If it all goes well, maybe she can replace her whole staff. And, you know, because there's a bunch of guys like just standing around. And she laughs looking at, at the soldiers. She's like, just kidding. And then he says that, you know, it would give them a trial data set. The general says that, you know, she can even get a new husband while she's at it. And, and she's like, since Byron's not available, she's like, unless he says that, you know, he'd have to discuss it with Hazel. And she's like, oh, do you need to get her permission? She's like, does she lay out your panties for you in the morning too? And then they both kind of like laugh. He fake laughs. He says that, you know, he'll think about it, but he has to get back to the party. So then we see virtual Hazel still watching her memories. She sees her like lounging on a couch with the beer. So she tries mimicking the pose. Virtual Byron walks up says that 
you know, she says that she's practicing being her for when they're out in the real world. He's like, you know, maybe we should, you know, think about this more. You know, he doesn't want her to change. He doesn't want them to change. So she like changes memories, whatever. And she sees her dad and Diane. She's like, that's my dad. And she, you know, says it again. She points to tell Byron that, you know, he can help them, that they can become real. And his eyes, eyes kind of twitch a little bit. Like he clearly doesn't want to do this. Hazel's trying to eat some hors d'oeuvres and this dude comes up to her and hands her a drink. He says that he saw that she didn't have one. And then he's like, oh, don't worry. There's nothing in there besides champagne. And then he's like, congratulations, you made it. He's like, that was quite a performance today. And she's like, that wasn't a performance. So she tries to excuse herself and then he takes her hand. He's like, well, that's a really nice ring. And then he, then he says, it's for Jasper. Because he like stuck something in her hand. So he's like, thanks for making the call. How is Jasper? Is he all right? And she says that uh, he's good, or she thinks so. And he's like, any suspicion from Byron? And she's like, no. And you know, she kind of laughs in case you know, there's people listening. He says that what he placed in her hand is a tracking device meant to look like a lady's lip balm. So he's like, get that to Jasper. He'll know what, how to turn it on. Then they'll get an exact location at a hub. She's like, well, then what? Then he's like, then they storm the castle, and she ends up being the hero who took down Byron Gogol. So she's like, oh, I don't have any pockets. You know, where should I put it? He's like, oh, put it in your bra. So she like puts it in like on the side. And then he's like, would you have slept with Jasper and Twin Sands? And she's like, what? And he's like, oh, no, no nothing. He's like, good night, Mrs. Gogol. Because that's what he talked about. Like when they're in a conference room that he's got this magic touch that anyone would want to sleep with him or something like that. So then she sees Byron. This other lady stops her, says her speech was so moving. You know, they make such a team. Byron comes up to her, they start dancing, and then he says that she was amazing today. And he says that, you know, he never realized how proud he'd feel out in the real world with her, you know, as her husband. And he's like, thank you, thank you. So then later they head back to their, their room. She's a little tipsy, and, you know, she tries opening her door. She drops her room key. He picks it up, and then she kisses him. So he's like, has his hands on her, starts like kind of moving them up, like towards the, the tracking, the lip balm. And she like stops him. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. You know? And she's like, no, no. She's like, I just don't want to rush anything. And she goes in her room and then he like smiles, but then she lies on the bed and then she pulls out the device and she just looks at it. So now she's probably like wondering, you know, should she be doing this? And that's where it ends. We'll see what she's going to do. All right, and now it is time to talk about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. So let me just first of all say, I really, <laughs> I really like this movie. I'm a huge Sam Raimi fan. And um, I know some people feel like, like, oh, you know, you can tell it's a Sam Raimi movie. But the thing is, Sam Raimi's style is, if, if you look at all the movies, he's very known for for evil dead obviously you know that i feel like that's his i don't know if that's his passion that's but he's done so many other movies that have been nothing like that and so it's it's like it's very different uh that being said also like if i know especially like one thing i remember noticing when i first saw spider-man 2 the the whole doc ock scene in the hospital room i mean that was like total sam raimi but if you look at like the other side you know he so he doesn't always go down the same path, same tone, same, you know, extreme Sam Raimi-ness. But this movie did have a lot of it. You know, there was some parts where just like kind of like slanted camera angles or whatever. And, you know, with these the little kind of beings that almost like they almost felt like they were deadites or whatever. And so there there's a, a lot of moments 
that just felt like Sam Raimi. And to me, that just like brought a huge smile to my face. I mean, I just really, really enjoyed it. So with, with the movie, you know, I like Dr. Strange, you know, he, he's a, he's a cool character or anything. He was, I can't say that he was one of my favorite characters in the comics or whatever, but as he's kind of evolved, like recently, you know, it was the oath, you know, the Brian K Vaughn series that really like opened my eyes to him. Uh, and, you know, seeing him in MCU, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch, you know, it's been good and everything. But, like, with the first movie, the first movie was good and all. And, you know, I, I loved Rachel McAdams and her role. And, you know, you just really see, like, the sacrifice. You know, Benedict Cumberbatch did a good job. I, I really should watch the first movie again because it, it's been a while. But this movie, I just, I really enjoyed it. I didn't think, you know, even though he was just, uh, Benedict, you know, Doctor Strange was just in, in Spider-Man, sometimes he's he's kind of jerky you know he's a little arrogant but that's just part of the character um this movie just really i just really appreciated like who he was and and there was just a lot of little little things that that kind of stood out that i i thought was cool you know there's a part where you know dr strange and wong and america chavez or spoiler not really they're sitting like in a little restaurant and like someone comes up like oh do you mind because they want to take a picture and he's like, yeah, I do mind. And what I, what I like about that is here, you know, in this world, they're superheroes. They're like celebrities. So I, I like just that little moment where someone came out, you know, wanted to take a picture. Yeah, we had a, the whole Avengers musical and Hawkeye and kind of Spider-Man. That's almost taking things to extreme level. But I just like that little touch. And, um, you know, there's someone else... Uh, Rich McAdams' character, you know, she's like, oh, you know, this person's like a big fan of yours, whatever, you know. So I, I like the little things like that. Um, the other thing that obviously people are going to be making comparisons are like just a whole, we, we're getting a lot of multiverse stuff. And, you know, we just had everything everywhere all at once. And then we have the multiverse of madness here. So it's, it's I, I still like the idea of the multiverse and, you know, we have what if the animated series, you know, they're different, but I feel like the two shows or two movies handle things differently. So when everything everywhere, and I don't want to do spoilers for that, but I feel like the way people, the way you, they kind of traveled through the multiverse, I, maybe I have to watch that again, but I'm not sure I a hundred percent understand exactly how it happened, but it almost felt like, they were traveling into their own body across the multiverse versus in Dr. Strange and multiverse of madness. Basically, you know, a lot of it was America Chavez punching through reality or through the multiverse to enter another one. And it's just like in the comics, I think it's super cool. They did it, you know, it makes like a star shaped hole that, you know, you, you go through. There was another method of traveling through the multiverse in Dr. Strange, um, not really spoiler but it's like dream walking type of thing so you know you have these two methods which maybe that dream walking is a little more reminiscent to uh everything everywhere all at once not really i don't know what i will say while we're talking in the multiverse i've kind of mentioned uh dark matter this it's going to be a uh, apple tv plus show with the actor playing uncle young uncle owen i forget his name the it's based off a book by blake Blake Crouch is that his name? The, he's the guy that wrote uh, Wayward Pines. I finished that audiobook. I really like how the multiverse is explained there. It's a it's a little different than Multiverse of Madness. It, it's like its own thing. With that, 
it's not and i don't think this is a spoiler for that but it's almost like the whole notion of like every time you make a decision you're creating another universe you know like i'm gonna go left or i'm gonna go right and so then it branches out so i, I kind of like that so i'm super excited i have no idea there's i don't even think there's a there's nowhere near a, a release date for that show but I, that's gonna I, I can't wait i'm definitely gonna be talking about that so with um Doctor Strange, um, I don't want to go full blown spoilers. You know, I definitely say you should see it. You know, it's great. It's, I mean, it's a Marvel movie. But what I do like, you know, going back to Sam Raimi, is this doesn't just feel like just another Marvel movie. While there's a lot of ties and connections, you know, they they reference the Spider Man a little bit. You know, what he just did and all that. But I think having Sam Raimi on board just gives it a different feel that it just it has a different vibe especially in some moments it really feels different so i like that and aside from the mention of like spider-man and there's a little mention of like you know end game stuff it kind of feels like this movie really sits on its own you know it is tied to the others but it's also it's like you don't have to really have seen the other ones recently to you know know what's going on i do like that there's a point where someone asks them is like is like okay did did Thanos have to do what he did? You know, did you have to give him the time stone and, you know, cause all this stuff, people to die and everything, you know, whatever we blipped out for five years. And so I, I like just the, the idea of that, that thought, like the consequences and everything like that. And, you know, I, I thought that was just a little cool little touch. So the movie just kind of starts off like right away where, you know, we're like in the multiverse to begin with. So, you know, that was cool. America Chavez characters is kind of neat, you know, and we, you know, we do pretty much get an origin from her. We don't really understand her powers, but they, you know, we see like where she was from and how she's involved with this. The, the, the big, okay. So now I guess I think I'm at the point. I I think I said everything I want to say. So it's really good. Actually, before I get into minor spoilers, before you, you pause and stop listening, So I just want to say, you know, it's very good, very slick, characters, designs, everything, all that top-notch. I loved it. Um, I I do want to say that there was a bit of a a twist, and I I won't spoil this, but as far as, um, like, the main nemesis in the movie, where it's, like, not quite what I thought, and I don't know if I really like that. Maybe I will talk a little bit about that in, in the spoiler section. So it, it's just a good movie. I, oh, what I will say is, obviously there are there's a mid credit scene and an after credit scene. The mid credit scene is crucial. It's essential. It, when I saw this, I was like, "Holy crap!" I did not know that that was going to happen. Um, I'm super excited, and it's like I need a Doctor Strange three like right away. The end credit scene was kind of like a silly little thing, but. It just it brought a huge smile to my face. I mean, it I just loved it. Um, the the person it involved is someone that I just just really adore. So I, I thought that was great. Okay, so with that, this is your warning now. So I'm going to talk about teeny tiny spoilers. I'm not going to go full blown like I do with the TV shows. But there's just obviously a couple things that need to be discussed that I just I wouldn't feel you know, for those who have seen the movie because I'm assuming a lot of people are going to see it. But for those of you listening that have seen it, I want to share my thoughts on, on this other stuff. So 
just keep in mind if you're listening that this is basically the end you know i'm just gonna go from the spoilers to the outro thanks for listening <laughs> everything all that that stuff i appreciate you listening um if you haven't if you're waiting to see the movie after you watch the movie come back to this point you know write it down uh, maybe i'll have the time codes for spoilers i'll try to do that and um yeah so just 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 be aware of that Okay, so minor spoilers. Uh, I guess I'll just start with the, the first thing. So the villain. The way the trailer and everything made it look out, it, it looked like it was going to be evil Doctor Strange. Just like in the, the What If cartoon. So we're like, wow, we're actually getting this. It's the same dude. Is it, it? We're going to see the Doctor Strange from that one episode who just turned, you know. No. So the main villain was Scarlet Witch. And I don't think I like that because, uh, you know, the whole thing, there's been a lot, you know, like, where can we get some, re- can we get some redemption or anything? And I don't think we can after this is like, where do you go from that? So we definitely need, need some more closure with that. Cause that, that was just, just kind of crazy. The other thing, you know, when we do see the Illuminati, super cool. I don't like that. A lot of this was spoiled. You know, the fact that they use Patrick Stewart's voice in a trailer, and I get that that was probably meant to get people excited because I'm thinking that some people are like, oh, Doctor Strange, you know, whatever. You know, maybe the first movie didn't quite do so well, but I think people have really come around to the character. So, okay, awesome, Patrick Stewart. And then, you know, they confirmed, like, yeah, so it's going to be Professor X. And then you even see, like, the yellow chair, and, and I think in one of the, the TV spots or whatever. But then... There is another character that was teased in the TV spot, and I don't want to mention the character's name, but that was really cool to see, uh, to see this character in action and everything. And, and, you know, you wouldn't really expect that, but I, I'm so glad that he did that. And that, that was cool. It's been announced that Black Bolt was in it. So um, Anson, what's his name? The same dude from the TV show, he was in it. He gets to wear his costume, his mask, which he didn't wear in the show. So that was cool. We get the way he uses his powers was cool. Oh, and uh, so the whole Professor X part, they play the X-Men theme, like like a version of it. Just very, so. I mean, that was so cool. There's a big surprise character that I'm so glad was kept under wraps. It's, you got to be careful, man. The, the, and I, I, I kind of don't even want to say say the character the actor's name. The actor's name is like trending on Twitter, so be careful if you click on it. You're going to see images and everything like that. So we get to see this actor that a lot of people have wanted to play this character. They've been like saying like fan casting like from day one practically that this this actor should play this character, and we got it. So it's so awesome that whether I don't I I feel like. Kevin Feige, whoever heard everyone saying this and they're like, okay, we're going to make it happen. The big question is next time we see this character, will it be the same actor that, I mean, it doesn't have to be because of multiverse. So things could be different, but it would be interesting. Cause you know, if we can have a multiverse where Peter Parker looks like Tom Holland, Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, then you can have a multiverse where next time we see this character, it looks different. That could be a little confusing though. Patrick Stewart has even mentioned that there might be more. He might have another appearance, which I don't know about that. Because obviously, if they're going to reboot X Men at some point, they're going to want 
no offense, a younger someone you know that's willing to do a lot more X Men movies, and who knows how many more he would want to do. And then uh, was there anyone else? Uh, there's yeah, there's another another. I mean, there's Captain Marvel. There's like kind of a different version of Captain Marvel for this movie, which was really super cool to see. Um, we did not get Tom Cruise. Like the, all the reports said that it was like, oh, leaks confirm it. <laughs> no, they didn't. So you're just making stuff up. So all those people that said Tom Cruise is in it, unless it was in the deleted scenes, right? What another thing I didn't like is um, <laughs> the, the way the Illuminati just basically were wiped out. <laughs> Yeah, that makes you think. It's like, well, what does that mean for Scarlet Witch, man? She's like unstoppable because was, that was like insane, but it was also very cool. Um, and then Rachel McAdams, I, I, I feel like her her role was a little more elevated here. So she had a bigger, and and I thought that was cool. I, I this version, I mean, it was essentially the same version, same character, but it was like a little more, and so I thought that was cool. I hope we see more America Chavez. You know, she's she's got to learn how to you know develop her train, you know, continue her training and everything like that. Other than that, I'm trying to think what else there is to say. Oh, the mid credit scene again. I never thought. I I don't know why I didn't think that we would get Clea um, anytime soon. I don't know why I'm whispering that. This is all spoilers, right? But I just feel bad saying all this stuff. So I I was super excited. I I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought. So I, I definitely recommend it. And um, I think I've kind of said enough about it. It's just, it was really good. And I thought they did a good, good job. I, I think what I like about how they portrayed the multiverse here is, you know, we do see different versions. We get little glimpses of a lot of place, like the paint world. And so I, I think that that's cool that we, we get enough of a sense, even though we don't like get a huge glimpse at everything. I think we get just a little peaks was, was cool. So I think that that was all good. So Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness in the Multiverse of Madness. You should definitely check it out. You should see it. It was good. Um, I this is what I definitely want to see this again, like soon. And on that note, that is going to be the end of this episode. And um, big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmatformec. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. And we're currently looking back at Moon Knight, Moon Knight, Moon Knight. We did uh, Moon Knight 1, 2, and 3 from 1980 doing werewolf by night uh moon knight's first appearance there which is so interesting that the look at that because i haven't really thought about him um and sometimes i'll do i should probably do a movie soon at some point there's something we can talk about we'll see as far as next week so the the movie feature is going to be firestarter and now i got the prodigy song stuck in my head um and then you know there'll be there won't be Superman and Lois because that's not, I think I mentioned it, that's not back till May 31st. I'm pretty sure there's another Flash next week. Sadly, there will not be Moon Knight. There will be another Man Who Fell to Earth. And I'm I'm, I'm going to assume we're going to get two more episodes of Made for Love. And then that's it. So maybe a little shorter, which again, that's always good for me to so I can catch a breath and just try to keep up with everything. But that's going to be it for this week. So I hope you are doing well. And you should definitely see Doctor Strange if you haven't already. Go see it again. And um, just make sure you take care of yourself. Make sure you 
find some time to do something fun and make sure you especially remember to be good to each other. 